Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job. His My Hero series, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able able to write a check i mean even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature things of that nature the basic things you know kids don't even know their home keys remember when we were kids we had the type mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that but right now mm-hmm. in this this COVID 19 and we're short on time so i want you to really get into it what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling I, in the beginning my kids were like you know what yeah this is cool we get to do it but now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends so socially is different but from an education Education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm going to go with more of the, well, I, it ain't to me the pluses to me. Uh, um, I think it's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social, uh, if it, the, the social part of it is part of the the the, the, uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates, with classmates, uh, knowing how to function, as opposed to everything being robotic, pressing a button. And and that's the one thing I fear. L.A. is that with my with my book, I have a curriculum, and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's a lot of writing involved. And that's by design because, you know, studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down. Also, you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing as opposed to just touching a button. A button. You use a certain part of the brain when you're reading as opposed to just things being sent to you digitally. And I think that's the where, that's where that's, we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so it's better nothing, but uh, the the minuses are a lot. It's it's a, and like you said, the, the, your 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 young men are getting bored. Um, it, it's a lot. And, and then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything's digitized. You know what I mean? So they can be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn. As opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she's able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something, minuses are a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that 
that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID, and you know what I mean. They and, and, themselves might have had it. And who? That's that's a really a great point because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation and the climate we are in. And even before mm-hmm. this, speak to because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using. You know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out. Like you said, I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I get I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I'm be honest with you. I'm gonna give you an analogy because I, I know you'll, you'll catch it. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a saying. I'm gonna give you an analogy. You know that that was saying if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we so we understand that part. But now picture a person. That's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't. That person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good. Without him, like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our babies' brains because they're not using that part of the brain, like you just mentioned. The press, all you're doing is pressing the button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts just like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, um, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain, when it's time to use it, you, you please. I mean, think of how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book, enough, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, and say read the article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it. Because that brain ain't ain't being used. So now you're going to tell me, read all this, <laughs> you know what right. I mean, At, within a certain period of time? That brain, is over, it's, it's, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden it starts to shut down because you have to build it, you have to build it back up. And so this is what's happening in L.A. With too, many, with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So guess what? It's not done. And my fear, I mean, I'm saying as I'm saying as a my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like for for the for the time being I'm here, you belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so these, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. 
So, so I'll, I'll use the word script. They, not not only can they not read the script, they can't. I mean, they can't write it, so they can't read it. So now you tell the 18 year old, 19 year old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name. He's writing in print. He's a she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write, they're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line. They're writing in between the line. I mean, they're, writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they've got it across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they, the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write and script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not, no, 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 when I say fair... Because that's a basic requirement, writing. You know what I mean? That, that, should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools to, uh, uh, and, and, and should be progressed in school. Because L.A., that's how we learn. You know what I mean? Our time tables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship, you know, writing between the lines, our tracing. Of le- you know what I mean? We did that We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but, I mean, sign like and, and a doctor. No, <laughs> hey, 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 me too. And, and here's the funny thing. Me too. And I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands, left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that. But at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that. We, well, and we can read some lots of sla- and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too, because right. we, we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world. Right. Because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talking these, with these the, smartphones have made, made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 up and up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM, Chapel Hill and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina. And we'll get to the, the book series and info there. Um, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something, but again, um, the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and I mean, you can get into if it's safe or not, that's a whole different discussion for another day, Um, but the fact is that, you know, kids, even before the virus, I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time. Um, it, it, they Work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids like, okay, if you... You do this, you can play this, or you can go outside, and they pushing, they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them no, take your time, because a lot of teachers say take your time, read the, read the questions. You know when you're taking the test, and it seems like these kids, these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the the work, and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than mm-hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You 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 buy mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that, that's the fear. And, 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 and matter of fact, you said it 
eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and the way I said it. When, these, when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a, you know, you know they put the uh, blinds on horses, run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going that, and that's a criminal act, if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because, when I, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world, because you'll say, oh, no, he got a so-and-so on his test. But, yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so and so-and-so, which the state has no, they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level. None. Because if they did, or if their children was in the belly of the beast, they wouldn't have that kind of they wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And just to interrupt too, if they if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to uh-huh. put them ready to put them on meds. You know, Ritalin and whatever, oh it's whatever. Man, um, and, 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 and bro, in LA, I was, I believe it or not, pre-COVID. And matter of fact, you, we've had discussion about my book before COVID. Pre-COVID, well, I started my curriculum two years ago. I mean, like getting it in stone. So I, I so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're gonna have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this. For about two years now. Now it's probably gonna be closer than that because we're gonna lose two and a half years. Okay, this way. For every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. They don't go. They're not gonna fail a the kid. They're gonna promote them socially. But think about the average tenth grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're gonna be functioning on a sixth grade reading level. Or sixth grade, great sixth grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and, and graduate to go to college, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna be a, very, a real challenge. So real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have, you know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward? And please do uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it. Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called the Hero Book Series, right? TheHeroBookSeries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschool and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum uh, it has a study a study guide, which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research, and learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it's, it's, it was the same thing would happen in the school. Also have a teacher's edition to where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers. To the sentences, you have answers to the multiple choice. You have, the, you have all the answers. I even have a pretest. So you can say, here, Johnny, take this and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment, and I have answers for that as well. So you have a student success guide, you have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest, put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. All right, my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. 
I ate on ebooks, which okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people, I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of, and go on YouTube and research touch on how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. Touch it, touching a book. Wow. How you start that your knowledge starts to your your knowledge starts LA with just touching the book. It's powerful. I I, I just saw that I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because you know, you know, I give you an example. Let me let me say something really quick. I'll let you show on time. In the in the in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry. In, in church, people have told me. I remember, I remember old ministers were telling me. I would say, well, Elder So and So, what do I learn? What do I read in the Bible? What should I, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me, say a prayer, put your hand on top of the Bible, and just open it. Meaning, I heard meaning that before. You'll find it. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, Ella, Ella, You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. There was something powerful about putting your mind right with it, coming becoming one with the story that you're about to read and then opening the book deep with that. That's deep. And, and so we keep giving these books, these, 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 these digital books and everything. You ain't helping these kids. Put a book in your hand. Put a physical book. The five senses are, are given to us for a reason. That's and if right. you dummy us out with that, we ain't going to have them, buddy. We're gonna be ro- people going to be robots. That's right. It's not going to work for us. Yeah. It's not, not going to work for us, bro. And the learning is, is robotic at this point because of that. Come on, man. Yeah, you're right. Come you're on, absolutely man. Come right. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, we, we, we're gonna, we can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You, 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 on, being, you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you. more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take Be care. Safe, man. All right, man. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us. You have a question on the topic. You heard the guest, uh, Gerald Hoover, of course, uh, best-selling author. Uh, you can get his stuff off uh, Gerald Hoover uh, website. You can Google him. All the stuff that he has there, you can um, check him out. And and and. Uh, again, if you have uh, a child or you you're concerned about this, just relatives or you know uh, anybody in your family. Online learning is already going to be tough. Socially, kids are not connecting, and then here they are online, and uh, kids are getting bored. And you know, if you're not watching them, they they're not even on the Zoom on the screen and. And you have all this stuff. On top of the issues and the concerns and the challenges that we have as African-American parents with our kids, if you have a comment on that or anything related to that, um, hit us up, 646-929-0130, the number. I'll go to the the phones and uh, screen the calls to see if you have a question or a comment. We'll get you on. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. You could have done anything else and could be doing anything else, and yet you've decided to check in with us. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us right now to get into any discussion we may have. And we got a lot. We're going to get to it. Uh, if you have any questions, you can hit us there. Um, and, of course, um, you always can reach out to us by email at labachelor40 at gmail.com or um, certainly you can hit us up at Pad Nation on Facebook. We're live on Facebook now and um, or LA Bachelor as well. Twitter Pad, Pad Nation too. I want to bring in my first guest. He is a licensed relationship therapist. Uh, of course, uh, he has been featured on Cosmopolitan uh, 51 First Dates podcast and the DBS podcast. Good to have him on uh, for the first time. He is Trey H. Hennis. And Trey, listen, I appreciate you. You, you said don't call you doctor, so I, I may call you Dr. Trey just to play on it a little bit. Um, but nevertheless, we, pre we appreciate you coming on this evening, sir. Fantastic. Absolute pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. So I, I wanted to bring you on. We, we're doing a series, um, and it, we can't get it all in one show, about black love. Black love in terms of two people, a spouse, you know, um, uh, male, female, otherwise, and, and certainly um, love of self, which could hinder a lot of relationships, I would think, in your profession, you see. But in, in terms of the origin of the issues that black men and women have in this society. And I, I got all the stats. We could throw that around all day, you know, marriage and percentages and interracial day. All that stuff is in front of me. But I want to go to you and ask you what, in your professional opinion, whether it be some of your patients or just in your studies, is sort of the, the core, the origin, the decline, not only just of marriages, but this this relationship we call uh, between black men and black women. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think there are a few different components. You know, if we talk about the breakdown of marriage, you know, the relationship between black men and black women, I think one of the first things you have to take into consideration is technology. You know, the age of information uh, has essentially changed dating, marriage, the ideologies of marriage, the paradigms of long-term commitment and monogamy. It's just completely changed the game. In addition to that, the Western world, every year we become more progressive with the paradigms of what monogamy means. You know, we've seen the rise of polyamory, and that is when you and your partner decide to be in relationships with other people while still being in relationships with each other. We've seen the rise of internet dating and app dating where you can essentially date with anonymity and no one really knows that you're married or, or in a relationship. Um, and we've seen the acceptance of essentially uh, marrying who you want to marry. The good thing is that there's still a large percentage of, uh, you know, 85% of black men are still marrying black wives. 9% uh, have a white spouse, 3% have Hispanic, and uh, the other 3% have other. I don't really know what that means. Um, but essentially, <laughs> technology is, is slowly tearing apart, you know, institutionalized monogamy and marriage that we've seen for, for decades and centuries. Well, where does that come from, though? I mean, let's let's go back to the marriage part. As you, you mentioned, um, 
the decline, the numbers in marriage, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you know, only 29% of uh, African Americans are married. And that's down from four years ago. Um, so you talked about, you know, online dating and those things and, and being able to be uh, sort of secret in what you're you're doing, but there has to be an origin of why you're doing it. Why, if you're married, that you decide as a black man and woman that you decide that you want to step out of your marriage and, and start another relationship with another man or another woman um, or whatever. Um, is the core value gone from from black marriages, from black people in terms of when they come together in a relationship? Are our are, are core values going away? And if so, is it because of the technology, the online dating, the, the, the wanting to take a, a bite from that other apple? Yeah, you know, I, I think time and time, so there's an old saying, right, where you are only as good, a man is only as faithful as his option. No, I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm not saying that I stand by that, but that's an old saying, right? And now, you see, back in the day, you know, you could meet someone at a gas station, you can meet someone at an apartment complex, you could meet someone at work, you can meet someone at school, you know, and those were basically the forms of meeting people. So your options were limited. And the person that you stuck with, you felt like was the best you could get because you really hadn't seen that many options. Now you could literally be sitting through the comfort of your own home and you can have a single bar in the comfort of your own hand and you can swipe and find someone that if there wasn't this technology, you never would have seen before. And unfortunately what that gives people is a paradox of not getting married because they're waiting for the next best option because they know that if it doesn't work out with the person that perhaps they should have been destined to marry, that there's always going to be another option. There's always going to be a next best thing because all you have to do is pick up your phone and swipe and swipe and swipe until you have that match. So when people traditionally used to commit, when people traditionally used to work through relationships, used to talk through problems, used to be master communicators, that's just not happening anymore because people don't need to do that. Because people know that if I have a big argument with the person that I'm in a relationship right now, maybe I can find someone who doesn't argue like that. But what they don't realize is that when you leave a relationship because you guys can't get through conflict resolution, the next person that perhaps doesn't have that fault that the previous person has, they're going to have another fault that you don't like. And that next person is going to have another issue that you don't like. And what's happening right now is millennials, particularly people who are at the ages between 25 to 35 right now, is they're going through this cycle. They're getting in relationships that last from three to four months. And what they're doing is, any kind of conflict or any issues or if there's a small thing that they don't particularly like, they're out of it. And there was a, a study that was released by the Pew Research Center that essentially said 25% of millennials are likely never to ever be married. And that's because of that one paradox of online dating. Well, if you're just joining us, we're, we're talking with Trey H. Hennis. Uh, he's a licensed re relationship therapist therapist, a black, black man himself. Uh, full disclosure, uh, we try to reach out to um, kind of balance the scale with a female um, a black therapist, and um, we were unable to do that, uh, but we'll continue as this, these shows go on. We'll, we'll certainly will have uh, that situation. You know, um, Trey, you, one of the things, uh, again, going back to the core, and you, you like – 
I like the term back in the day that you use. You know, back in the day, yes, uh, it, it seems though our grandparents and and their parents uh, worked things out. Um, there was a lot more emphasis. Certainly, you can even look at the numbers there. Um, emphasis on spirituality um, that it was biblical that you stay married, um, not just for the sake of your soul, but the sake of your kids. We'll get to that in a, a second. But it was biblical and spiritual to stay together. Um, and some experts and some uh, sort of articles to say that black men and black women are going in opposite directions in at that aspect, that um, I've, I've seen that, you know, a lot of black women, if they aren't, dating, hitting that button on the phone, um, they're holding out, if you will, quote unquote, um, for that godly man. And to a lesser percentage, and I'm not trying to kill either side, to a lesser percentage, maybe not so much with black men. So they don't stay in these relationships. They get divorced because they want to have that core values. We can get into if somebody, you know, infidelity and all that kind of stuff. But do you, do you buy into that? Have you researched that? Have you had um, any of your, your patients or clients deal with that of, uh, about, you know, the spiritual moral side of things have been part of the disconnect of the black family? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting you say that in, in the black community, traditionally, we're, we're very religious, you know, we're very Christian. And I think that there is a disconnect between the modern black male and the modern black women. You know, right now we're living in an age where, you know, black women are, and I don't want to generalize, but in the kind of couples that I've spoken to, the single people that I've spoken to for relationship advice, you know, oftentimes the black women that, you know, they're coming to me saying that a lot of men they're dating aren't necessarily God-fearing. Some of them don't even believe in God. And again, I'm not saying that's all of them, but that, that right. seems to be the big disconnect right there. In addition to that, what we're seeing is that we are kind of in a weird world right now where we want to be progressive. We want to talk about equality and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people want it both ways. And by that, I mean, they want to have a traditional role. They want to have a traditional marriage where the man is leading the way. The man is paying the majority of the bills. You know, the man is the patriarch of the house. But at the same time, you know, they want it where it's equality in the sense that, okay, a man has to be an alpha, he has to lead the way, he has to, you know, pay a majority of the bills, but they also want it where, you know, he's essentially doing what he can to make sure that she's happy, he's looking after the kids, he's, you know, changing diapers as well, he's preparing meals as well. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I buy into any particular gender role. But what I'm saying is a lot of people feel like they can have it both ways. And if you want a traditional God-fearing marriage, you can't have it both ways. That's just not the reality of modern relationships right now because the world is telling you one thing, right? You should do this. You should look at your career first. You know, don't ever let a woman tell you what to do. Don't ever let a man tell you what to do. But then traditions are telling you the complete opposite. And, you know, no man can mm. serve two masters, right? That, and that's uh, certainly out of, uh, out of the good book. Um, you know, uh, it, w with that being said, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, you know, having it both ways, wanting, uh, you know, a man to be um, sensitive uh, 
to a woman's needs, being, you know, allowing them to be a damsel, you know, being a polite, opening the doors, paying for dinner, things of that nature leading up, you know, if you're dating leading up to a uh, long-term and a marriage, which is, could be two different things. Um, and, and some women sort of buck about that. So how, how do, how do you merge the two? I mean, is there any possibility of the understanding there? Because, you know, some people think that if, if two sides are sort of have these, uh, traditions and even I would say preconceived notions, then you lose out. You might have missed the the greatest man you would have would have been your partner or the the greatest woman that would have been your, your wife forever because of the mixture and, and I guess what I'm saying is that uh, uh are are the people going to listen to what society says and let that be um the way they lead their relationships or are they going to go to traditional marriage and relationships? Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always referred to this, right? Back in the day, the, the general consensus was, you know, if, if there's a man who's, you know, making a bulk of the money and, you know, the woman is at home looking after the kids, the role was always, you know, the man would, make the money, put food on the table, you know, take care of the family. And that was his role, right? And then the woman's role was, hey, you know, I'll take care of the kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll take care of the house, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that this is, you know, anything that I stand by. I stand by an individualist, um, an individual approach between you and your spouse. But I'm going to get into that in a second. But what what we're seeing now is that, you know, the trade-offs that, that people want aren't matching and they don't usually discuss it until they're a couple of dates in sometimes that they're, they're even in a relationship so uh both parties you know men want it where and i wouldn't say all men but some men want it where you know they can be their provider and, and they can have they can take care of their women and you know they want something in return uh but they're not getting it and then some women they feel to themselves okay well you know, so long as you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And a lot of men aren't taking care of them because they feel like, okay, well, you know, if you want equality, then you're going to pay for your half. You're going to pay for your meal. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you truly want equality, then, you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, I'm not going to take care of you if you want to be, you know, if you want to have that sense of equality in the relationship. And what I think needs to happen, and, and this is what for me, is, you know, the first couple of dates, you two just have an honest conversation. You know, you look at your woman in the eye and say, hey, what do you think is good for you in a relationship? What works for you? And as a man, you say, hey, this is what works for me in a relationship. I'll give an example, okay? For me, you know, um, I believe in equality and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, relationships should really be what you two decide. But I also like a woman who embraces the feminine i don't really typically i'm not attracted to masculine women right that's a preference that i have i'm always going to you know let the person that i'm trying to be in a relationship know right so she and i know that we're on the same page and if you're a woman you should say hey you know i'm looking for a god-fearing man i'm looking for a masculine man i'm looking for an alpha man and you be very clear what you want because that way there could be no disputation there can't be a situation where the guy said oh 
what I didn't know you wanted that because you never communicated it from the get-go. Everything needs to happen from the first three dates in regards to communication. It's it's funny you, you brought that up, um, Dr. Trey, because when you, uh, you have situations where um, people are dating, there is no, it seems, right, no no real honesty. It's almost like I used to say years ago, um, you know, when you're hungry, everything tastes good. So sometimes it seems, Doc, you know better than I do, that um, it seems as though black men and women tend to try to force relationships that are not there. You can't put a square, a square in a circle based on whatever they want, whether they're trying to, whether the woman's trying to, um, make the man that they just met into what they want it to be or perceive and the opposite. Like they, you know, you know, after a few dates, right. That is probably sometimes after a, a conversation that's probably not going to be a good mix. So why, what is the reason behind that? Is that insecurity? Is that, you know, because people feel lonely, why do they try to force relationships that are really not there? You know, especially now with, you know, the the civil rights movement that we're, we're almost reigniting in regards to talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I think a lot of black men and black women feel like, look, you know, we're going through an important movement right now. And I, I want to be with, you know, a brother or a sister that's, you know, going to help me raise kids so we can protect them and, and help them understand what it truly means to to be black and, and proud, right? But, you know, it's it's very steeper among blacks right now. I, I mean, I remember reading an article that said that in the 1960s, you know, 74% of whites were married, and that rate dropped to 56% in 2008. And, and when I think about that, that's a huge, huge drop. But what's interesting is that in comparison to blacks, in 1960, 61% of blacks were married, okay? In 2008, it's only 32%. Black people are getting divorced more often and remarry less frequently than uh, Caucasian people right now, which is nuts when you think about it. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, whenever I try and counsel a couple, you know, I let them know how imperative it is, imperative it is that they survive in this modern dating world and relationship world and, and marriage world right now because, you know, things are slowly falling apart and we need to stick together if we're going to be in a situation where we can progress as a people. Uh, you know, um, Doc, and I, I got a question that came in, and I want to remind people that you can get online and ask questions at 646-929-0130. Um, you can also hit us up in the chat room uh, online if you're listening online. Uh, you can hit us up with your questions and comments in the chat room as well. Email us, labachelor40 at gmail.com, and hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation or Twitter at Pad Nation, too, if you have uh, a question. So there's all kinds of ways to get to uh, Dr. Trey and then ask some, some questions. Doc, when you when you mention all of that um, and it, it goes to um, – we I asked about, you know, what are the reasons why they – they do what they do in terms of trying to force relationships. One of the the stats and one of the things that I think people don't, black people don't really realize 
is that, and it goes back to the Monaghan letters back, you know, in 1962, um, that if we already know, is Captain Obvious is, you know, statistically kids grow up better when there's a mother and father in in the household, married. They don't really go into just living together, but mother and father there in the household. They they do generally better in all phases of their life for the most part. Um, and if that doesn't happen, you know, the numbers go down. Single moms, you know, no, no men in the household. We get into incarceration and why they're not there and things of that nature. But the kids get affected. So it's almost, it's, it's what's worse for children, at least two parents that stay together, knowing they should not be together. They probably shouldn't even gotten together in the first place for the sake of the kids. And then, you know, kids are smart. They see things, they know things and they absorb things. So they see the the tension, if there's tension there or parents that get divorced um, and those kids have to deal with, you know, the separation. You're staying with mom. Sometimes you're staying with dad. Sometimes maybe dad's not there all the time. Maybe mom gave up her right, whatever the case may be. What's worse? I mean, because ultimately um, the breakdown of the family has affected the kids, and, and kids learn, you know, from those surroundings and those adults that are around them, good or bad. I concur with you fully. I, I think it's it's definitely difficult because there is that stigma of, you know, having the paradigm of single moms because, you know, black men, we still have a significantly higher incarceration rate, right? And that leaves, you know, uh, a lot of uh, boys or, or girls motherless, uh, fatherless, and it's difficult for them to kind of want to get married because that's not necessarily something that they grew up with. And when I say this, you know, this isn't me necessarily victim shaming or anything like that. But you could imagine that, you know, in the 70s and 60s, when there weren't any video cameras to film the atrocities that some police officers had done, or, you know, when Bill Clinton, you know, had that act where even if you had some weed, essentially, you could be locked up for five to six years, right? You know, there's generations that are still trying to recover from that, you know, generations that didn't see their father around because he was locked up for for blatant racism or racial profiling. And, and that is suffering that, pe- you know, people in my generation, you know, we're suffering by the effects of that right now because some of us didn't grow up with a traditional family. So it's hard for us to want that. I also think when you talk about, you know, characteristics and situations, why black men and black women are, are getting married less, I think expectations are, are very, very high for both parties, but I want to focus specifically on on women's preferences you know black men a lot of them and the black men that i've spoken to have have felt like they have an increasing amount of pressure and that they fall very short of a woman's preference you know for example i had uh, a guy i was talking to about two months ago who had recently broken up with his girlfriend and he wanted me to to help him find a date you know he wanted me to to get an online dating profile. So I, I did his online dating profile for him. I helped him with his bio. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's kind of crazy out there. You know, women want you to have, you know, an amazing body, uh, a six-figure job. They want you to be empathetic, but they want you to be 
alpha. You know, they don't want you to be trying too hard, but they want you to be trying hard. They want to be taken out. They want someone to raise a family. They don't want you to have any kids. They don't want you to have any debt. They don't want you. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And again, you know, I'm not saying that this is just separate to black women, but I don't date, you know, men. So I wouldn't really be able to talk from a woman's perspective. Um, but, you know, they, they have very, very high aspirations, which isn't a bad thing. But I'll give you an example, right? When black women were asked uh, how important it is that they have a good husband or a partner to provide a good income, two-thirds of black women said that it was very, very important compared to 32% of white women. And then roughly 55% of black women said that it was very important for a husband or partner to be well-educated compared to 28% of white women. So what that's saying is that um, a lot of black women are saying that, look, you know, 55% of them to be specific are saying, look, you know, you're not really going to get an opportunity if you're not highly educated, which I think is drastically unfair because not everyone is afforded the privilege of being highly educated. I think, you know, some of the best employees have worked for me who have just had high school diplomas. And quite frankly, they've worked harder than most people who have university degrees. And, and that's a stigma that, that needs to die. And then half of the black women said that financial stability should be an important precondition for marriage, but only a quarter of white women felt that way. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that, you know, Caucasian women are better than black women. What I am saying is that black women have very, very high expectations for black men. I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but I do think that there is a portion of black men who don't fulfill that criteria who feel like they're losing out and feel like it's not even a battle that I want to fight because there's no way I can possibly win right now. Wow. You know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm glad you, you said that uh, again. Um, I, I'm a, a member of a few different groups of real, real dads and some, some stuff like that. Um, we have conversations like that a, a, a lot about those things and I won't get into my specifics, but a lot of, a lot of the brothers say that, you know, that, that that's the case. Even when, you know, um, prejudging everybody tends to prejudge on some some level and you know some of the brothers have said to me you know um i i just don't know what what they want black women want you know if i'm dressed and clean cut they think i'm soft if i look like a thug then i'm too i'm too thugged out they don't want that if i and and i think the um the what you mentioned in regards to education um there are a lot of opportunities to get an education i do think that you know some form of training i would say is important Mm -hmm. but like you said not everybody's going to get a degree and then at the same time i do believe that uh a you want to i would want someone um to be bringing something to the table financially, working at least, right? Um, if you're able-bodied, you're not, you know, disabled or anything. Um, and certainly, and the other thing is, you know, coming to the table if you, uh, you know, you're either trying to improve your credit and you're standing or you have good credit. I mean, these are the things that I think both men, black women, men and women kind of look at, especially 
if if they're in that position. But does that mean from those stats that you said, Dr. Trey, that um, is it hard for, say, an educated, well-off black woman to even give an opportunity or come into the same circles of a black man who is the opposite. And, you know, same thing with a black man, black man who's well off and um, educated, trying to date and be in a relationship and have a long lasting relationship with a woman that is not of those same areas. Well, you know, I I think you have to, to look at at the expectations for both sexes, right? You know, typically the saying goes, a man is only as good as what he can provide. That rings very, very true. You know, I noticed a a significant change in the kind of relationships I had when I was broke and studying my MBA and my undergraduate (laughs) versus when I was actually having a salary job, right? There was a significant change with my dating opportunities, right? But that same mentality is not given to women. You will never hear anyone say a woman's value is only as good as what she can provide financially. You know, for most men, a woman's value is how she can support him, right? How they can grow together. You know, we're biologically wired to want and need certain things. Even though we're all about equality these days, we still can't ignore, you know, what we're biologically required to want. Men have been the hunter and gatherer since the beginning of time, literally hunting bison as cavemen. Do you see where we're coming from? So, you know, when we talk about if you are a significantly successful black man, when it comes to getting a woman, you're going to have a much easier task as opposed to if you are a significantly successful black woman and you're trying to get a man because a lot of men are intimidated. Let's take away black women in general, by significantly successful women. Because most women who are very successful in the corporate world, they've had to embrace masculine energy to get there. Because the American corporate workforce and the Western corporate workforce is still very male-dominated and very male-gendered, which means if you're a woman and you want to climb the ladder, you need to embrace those masculine traits. I would like it to change, but that's the situation we're in right now. Therefore, if a woman is a VP or a CEO or anything like that, typically she has masculine traits. And most men don't really want to date that. Some base males. But, uh, but also, isn't it, it, isn't it, you talked about DNA. I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. Trey, but DNA with the men who, is it just intimidation or is it a man prejudging that successful black woman saying, oh, she ain't going to want to do it. She, she got every letter on, on after her name, the PhD and all that. She, she's not going to want to work with me. I'm a construction worker. Whatever case, no disrespect to them. But is it not just intimidation, but is also prejudging that the fact that, you know, why would she want to even deal with me? Is that insecurity? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it, it's 50-50. I'd say it's one you know, men definitely have a bit of insecurity, you know, with masculine women. And two, you know, they feel like, well, you know, been a bus driver for the past 10 years. You know, I, I just don't think there's anything that I can do about this, you know, or they could say, well, you know, she's so educated and so intelligent. There's no way she would even give me a shot. So right. I, I think a solution for that is, you know, if we want to boost marriage rates uh, amongst black people, you know, we should really focus on 
uh, improving job opportunities and education, particularly mm. for black men. Um, you know, black women are winning right now, and, and I'm for it. But they're winning significantly more than black men. Um, you know, I, I was reading an article, and it's, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, they were saying that 18.4% of black men were jobless compared to 9.6% of white men. Now, we're not going to get into, you know, the historical atrocities of systematic racism, right? Because we know why we're here, fine. But at the same time, you know, there are still significant racial disparities that persist. I mean, end of March, you know, I was laid off by my job due to COVID. And it took me about two and a half months to get back into work, whereas I had a Caucasian counterpart where it took him a month. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics. It could have been, you know, maybe he had better context and connections that, that, that I did than I did. But my point we know what we know what it is, Doctor Trey. We we know what it is, Doctor <laughs> Table. Go ahead. We know. Come on. We know what it is. <laughs> but, but yeah. But but what I'm saying is, you know, we need to give black men more opportunities to to thrive. You know, we need to allow the patterns that we've seen before to be changed. And you know, black women, they they got to give us a shot. You know, they got to realize that we're still struggling. You know, we're still seen as a certain element in society and, and we need to be accepting of all people regardless of educational financial status. Right. And, you know, I, I will say this too, to, to your point about uh, uh, black women, um, some of the most educated over the last few decades, they're much more aggressive than men, black men, right. They, and, and we tend to want to grunt it out, you know, historically, if you will. We'll, we'll work that nine to five. They want more. They're more tentative. They 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 work as hard statistically, harder as you mentioned. Um, so there, there's those things. I want to get to a a question that came in, and got a lot of people actually sending in questions. Uh, Kimberly uh, said that she wants that traditional uh, black man, that black husband, that is, you know, um, steep in godly values that's that's what she wants and and that was her question you can address that but just to, to add on to that um what about even if you want the godly values but you know again let's live in a real world you're not going to get the perfect person the the, the last perfect person we know you know walked on water and is supposed to be coming back if you believe in in, in the book, but but the thing is that if if you can get eighty percent of what you want and deal with the twenty percent you don't get, you know the eighty twenty rule, well, isn't that enough? And 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 one would think that the godly principles would probably be built into that anyway. Yeah, and you know it's. I want to touch on the first question, then I'm going to touch on the second one. So, you know, if you want to find a, a godly man who you feel like embraces, you know, the key attributes of, you know, a, a man, right, in a relationship and marriage, then you need to go to the places where you can traditionally find them. And that's not going to be the club. That's not going to be the bar. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure there's a preacher that's gone to a good bar in his time, right? Or so, But I'm talking about those people that are in the same club, 
every week, the same bars every week on a Saturday night. I very much doubt that the guy's going to be coming out of some club at 3 a.m. and making sure he can wake up at 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. to go to his Sunday service, right? So mm. if you want to find a God-fearing man, you need to go to the places where God-fearing men are going to be. For example, look at your local chamber of black commerce, okay? Look at your local church gathering. Look at your reach-out events. Look at events you know, charity events, you know, where good black men are generally going to be. Because black men who don't care about that sort of stuff, they ain't going to be there. You know, they ain't going to be no, if, if, if there's a black man who, who's not a god for a man, he's not going to be going to no reach-out event. He's not going to be feeding the homeless. He's not going to be going to no <laughs> march or protest. You see what I'm saying? Like, you need to go to the places where you can find good men, okay? And I always tell right. people it's not going to be the bar or the club. It might be a dating app. But you need to be specific and strategic when you do that. I, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm looking for a God-fearing man, I'm not going to be swiping on a guy who's topless. That guy's not God-fearing man. The only thing he's fearing is that he's going to get a belly and he's going to lose his six-pack. So, yeah. Let me ask you, let me just play advocate. In the U and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Got a new song on the radio and very proud of it. It's called I'd Rather Have Love. And we're going to do a little bit of this for you. Hopefully y'all can enjoy it as much as we did performing it. So, Cap, are you ready? How about you, Walt? My man, Leighton, you good? That's my man Steve over here. He's my engineer. All the music y'all been hearing me record, this guy's been behind the boards executing it, you know. Young boy, too. About, what are you, 25? 24? Oh, shit, 24. <laughs> They're getting younger, you, you, you know. Well, let's rock that real quick, player. Take it like we in church. Oh, I was cool in them streets. Yeah, I was cool in them clubs. Real talk, I wasn't thinking nothing about love. I didn't want nobody trying to partake in my stuff. I thought an occasional one-night stand would be enough. She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat when she comes around I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself Told me what a real man should be She said, son, pick one And treat her like me Hey! I took all of her wisdom And I used it for selfish gain And I know if she saw this pimping She'd be ashamed I found this girl She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat when she comes around I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself alone I know I'm ready for love of my own. 
even though I want to, I just need to give up. I'd rather have a love and have a life alone. It's gonna take a minute to evolve. I'd rather have a love than nothing at all. I'm ready for a love of my own. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Hope you had a good time. I've enjoyed you. God bless. God bless. Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOMLP, Chapel Hill, and Carborough. We thank you for listening. And just one programming note, if you miss any part of our broadcast, you can go to our website, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And again, we appreciate uh, our station, WCOM, uh, for broadcasting this bad boy as well. I want to go back to the phones, bringing my guest. He's an adjunct professor at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. He is Quadrico Driscoll. And always good to have you on, my friend. I hope all is well with you and your family and you're safe. It's good to speak with you and your audience again, L.A. Absolutely. Uh, so I, the, it seems as though from, from what I've been reading that um, the numbers, the early voting numbers are way up in particular with um, African Americans, um, do you think, in terms of the vote, and you know, it, everybody's saying, if if the Democrats bring out their base and Republicans bring out their base, and because the guy occupying the White House has not made friends, if you will, or political allies with uh, you know women and and all these different. Uh, groups that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States? Hmm. Well, certainly with the November 2020 general election weeks away, I think get out the vote efforts that have launched into high gear, as you've noted. Um, we are sort of used to seeing the election political propaganda steaming from across the television, computer, mobile devices, etc. And, and, you know, we've heard the chorus of people encouraging people to register and to vote and to get out. Uh, but I think that we do ourselves a disservice in many respects when we listen to the polls, quite frankly. Um, we know that Biden is in the lead, uh, and we know that Trump's approval numbers are, you know, sorely lacking. Um, but polling, we have to understand, is not political reality. Uh, the polls, of course, show that Biden is, is ahead and, and certainly ahead of, of Trump. And we know that the, the get out the vote, um, particularly for early voting, is up. Uh, but I, I still think that we need to be cautious. I think that we need to also keep in mind that uh, this time in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton was up in the polls and that, you know, the same sort of get out the votes effort were, were also in high gear. Now, of course, there are things that are different now. Um, of course, the economic downturn, um, COVID-19 and the series of protests that we've seen. So I, I, it's not to say that 
causation equals correlation, but we but we we do need to be optimistically cautious here um, because we could see uh, the Trump factor, what political scientists are calling, and that's those same people who who showed up to vote, who said they were voting for Biden or not voted for Trump, um, who, who, who voted for him. And not to mention, I'll end on this note, we're, we're also seeing um, trends, articles, polling data that's showing that uh, Trump's campaign could increase its, its uh, participation among black men. So again, I think these are all things um, for us to be cautiously optimistic about, even though we're seeing uh, the polling data skewed towards Biden, even though we're seeing the long lines in terms of get out the vote in southern states. Great point. Uh, and, you know, when it when it comes to, you know, a lot has been said about the Biden-Harris ticket and their um, emphasis on trying to bring in a Latino vote and certain, again, other groups. And, and I mentioned this to you before in terms of uh, the black vote. You and I had, had, had talked about that being taken for granted, you know, what, whatever the 80, 90 plus percent it is that, you know, African-Americans vote Democrat uh, and, and, and women uh, in particular. Um, it, what are they saying? What are you hearing from from your uh perspective and, and, and what you watch and what you understand and know, uh, are they putting out there in terms of ad and when they're going there? Because I hear all about battleground states. And to me, battleground states means, uh, quite frankly, you know, places where there's there's not a lot of black folks um, in, in, in most cases. And if it is, it might be like in Pennsylvania, it's Philly. You know, but like Iowa and Wisconsin, it's not a lot, it's not a great percentage of us there. So, are, are they really pushing to make sure they secure that? Because again, uh, they try to blame it on black folks, but Hillary, I think, ran a bad um, a campaign. But she certainly didn't really warm up to them, and a lot of us stayed home in the last uh, presidential campaign. Right. Well, uh, so to to your your point um, of you know, battleground states. I think battleground states doesn't, it's not necessarily synonymous with a uh, lack of minority population. Um, we, we often know that um, Florida, for example, now is a, is a battleground state, right? And, and has uh, double digits, uh, 30, upwards to 30% of African American votes. Um, so I think it's important to make that sort of small distinction. But I also think it's important that, yes, the Biden-Harris campaign has been making, I think, significant efforts, um, significant efforts into the black community in terms of not only just get out the vote, but also in terms of policy, in terms of messaging. Um, I think Harris, obviously, given her connection to the African-American community, she is African-American as well as Asian-American. Uh, I think, of course, has done an, a tremendous effort as well. And so I think that the campaign, and from what I am seeing, from what I know, and from what I'm hearing, is making the effort that they need to engage African Americans, but all other um, people of color. And, and again, although the, going back to the polls, it's showing that, uh, you know, Biden is up with regard to independence. 
buying this upper guard to senior citizens who are 65 and older. But, you know, he's also slightly up compared to Hillary Clinton uh, this time four years ago, whereas Trump, of course, really, quite frankly, is leading with white voters. But, yes, I think that the Biden-Harris ticket is making a very concerted effort to reach out to African-Americans, but also to reach out to other demographics whom they realize, you know, Trump's campaign is leading or pushing there as well. So they've outreached to religious voters. They have outreached to older white voters. Um, and, and again, polls are not indicators, but the polls do also show that they are gaining some traction with, within those uh, populations that I've described. He's just joining us. We'll talk with Quadrico uh, Driscoll, of course, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM, LP, Chapel Hill, and Carborough. Uh, it, you know, the, the final point on that, on that uh, agenda is uh, have they presented, I've been watching and stuff, have they presented an agenda that's specific to um, the, the black and brown vote uh, and black and brown people when it comes to the recovery uh, due to COVID-19, both in health, as you know, it's affected those communities, our communities, um, uh, far worse than others. And then the economics. We, we've we already heard, and the stories are out there, it's well documented how the first um, stimulus that went out for small businesses and SBAs didn't really hit a lot of the black and brown communities. There was a lot of complaints sure, and concerns sure. about that. So what are they going to do to help from the health standpoint to get us back on our feet health-wise and in terms of the economics, small businesses and people just working, you know, hard, hard-working people every day? Well, you know, listen, I, I don't claim to be a surrogate for the Biden-Harris campaign. Um, I'm, I'm certainly supportive of them. But I, I do think that, and, you know, you mentioned the swing states. So in the swing states, uh, I think they are certainly appealing to, to the black community. I think that, like from what I have seen on, on the website, of course, that there is a plan to roll out with regard to economic recovery for African Americans, but also in terms of the overall recovery with regard to COVID-19. Um, we, we have seen in, I think, the ad, sh- um, I think it's Shop and Talk Trust, um, you know, that's, that's an ad that sort of talks about all of this. But I, I think that, and, and, and I hate to sort of say it or put it like this, but when, you, when, it, when it boils down to um, Trump and, and Biden, Biden and Harris are out there engaging, they are, are doing the work that is necessary to engage the African-American community in terms of economics, in terms of health. Certainly there could be more. I think they're also reaching into other aspects of, quite frankly, the Democratic talking points that have not always been high profile for the Democrats, such as the federal judiciary, which I think are all important for African Americans. It's it's sort of hard, particularly the, the Democrats face when you're trying to focus on a specific 
demographic of the population because, of course, then you turn off other voters. And so Biden-Harris, and I think the Democrats, generally speaking, have to do this sort of dance as it relates to garnering older white voters, white voters, generally speaking, those in the suburbs and those not, as well as other people of, of color. Yes, we know historically Democrats have taken uh, African-American votes for granted, but I, I believe that with Kamala Harris on the ticket, that part of the strategy, not just a symbolic gesture of Harris being on the ticket, but Harris and Biden are both wooing black and Latino voters, and that there actually is a plan in place for those communities that have traditionally been left out and traditionally felt as if they were not necessarily a part of the initial outreach to begin with. Hmm. You know, uh, one of the things, too, I, I, I've noticed, uh, I, I saw uh, Mr. Biden on some shows and, and you know, they were talking about um, the fact that, like you said, their their camp is saying and send send out emails and to their to the whole um campaign uh that this this election is going to be very close it, it's already close don't pay attention to the polls that's one thing that uh they made a mistake 4 years ago and they don't want to make that mistake mistake again however i don't see him out as much maybe um senator harris is out there more uh, on the trail in some places, whereas you have the guy who we never mentioned on this show occupying the White House um, that's out there dangerously, of course. I mean, that's a whole different topic, but he's doing these rallies. He's, you know, he's pushing all this, this, this fake news and propaganda out there, but he's out there. Um, should a Biden campaign be out there more? I know they got the debate coming up, which I'll ask you about that uh, this coming week. Uh, should they be out there more focusing on those states, making sure they close the deal instead of taking some days off? Well, yeah, I, I think that they are, they being Biden-Harris, I think they're out there just as much. I think, of course, and, and being quite frank here, they're not getting as probably as much media coverage because Trump makes for good ratings and good television, and he knows that. He, he absolutely knows that, and that's why we see these very large rallies, which, of course, are putting people in danger. We know that, of course, the, the events that took place a couple weeks ago, particularly at the White House, was a, a super spreader for COVID-19. So I, I absolutely think that they're out there. Um, I, I just saw Biden-Harris, um, I, I forget what state, it's been a long day, but they're out there. I don't think the media is doing a due diligence in terms of covering the fact that they are out there. And so I don't want us to, to get that sort of mixed, right? And again, I think they're out there with the mission, talking about health, talking about the economic impacts of COVID-19, shining lights on the disparities that have long faced African Americans. And so that message is, is being put forth out there. Um, and I, I just think that we have to sort of pay attention and not get caught up in the noise that we consistently hear or the distractions for that matter by, as you would say, the guy occupying the White House. Great point. Uh, you know, and it's it's just sad that people will just believe it. And, and he's causing so much uh, 
so much uh, confusion. I believe he'll have blood on his hands, but that's a whole other conversation. We're talking with Quadrigo Driscoll here on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Show. Um, so politically, if you know Mr. Magoo, aka Mr. Mitch McConnell, uh, is trying to push just five hundred billion dollar um, stimulus bill. Um, to help get relief for so many people of all races and all colors and creeds that are suffering, suffering. Um, so playing advocate, should Nancy Pelosi sort of, you know, come to an agreement just to get something passed, or should they hold out? Because I understand there's a lot of things in there that don't help hold a lot of businesses, in, in particular um, bigger businesses that may get some of these stimulus, some of the stimulus money accountable. Well, certainly, I, I don't think that um, the Democrats via Nancy Pelosi should be playing any more politics with, with people's lives. Um, nor do I think that this will be solely a win for the Republicans, because of course, if it comes out of the House, it has to have passed. Um, Democrats. So I would like to see something pass. Um, you know, the House passes, I think it was $3.4 trillion relief bill, right? right? And we know that McConnell refused to consider it. And then the, the, the Senate Republicans in the White House got together and they sort of worked down this plan, which Secretary uh, Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, was also a part of, of those negotiations. And so you know, politics is, in, in many respects, about compromise. And we know traditionally the, the Democrats are always usually the ones willing to compromise, and they're usually the ones holding the short stick here. But I, I think in this case, people still, right, do not have jobs. People's jobs still have not recovered. And again, we're talking about uh, black and brown people. And so as one who, who works to advocate for certain policies. I think this COVID stimulus is needed for the overall good of the economy and, and quite frankly, to, to put money back into people's pockets. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about um, what, you know, Biden and, and Harris tends to do with that. Well, you know, part of that, of uh, their plan is to improve um, SBA, the Small Business Administration programs, um, for, for more African-American-owned businesses to really grow under that. And so when we talk about small businesses and when we talk about the fact that a lot of businesses will not be recovering because of this pandemic, uh, yes, I think that the Congress needs to pass another COVID relief fund. As soon as they, they can, if they can uh, work it out. A final question right. for you with this debate. I, I really don't. I think it's a very, very small percentage of people who have made their decision on who they're going to vote for. My God, if they go the other way, it is what it is. But um, should they have this debate? And what should, you know, uh, Vice President Biden do? Uh, should he just kind of stay, you know, on the on the defense, kind of just kind of lay back and and not put himself out there, um, or really challenge? the lies that the guy occupying the White House is going to give to him? Well, yeah, that is a really tough question, whether or not they should have this debate or not. Um, I'm inclined to say yes. Uh, believe it or not, there are still 
some people, though the percentage is probably small, there are still some people who are trying to make up their minds and decide. I typically have a tradition and a habit of listening not to the commentators after the debate, but I like to listen to the people who call in on C-SPAN just to get their thoughts and opinions. It's a sort of uh, anecdotal way of hearing what's out there in the ether outside of the Washington bubble that I often reside in. Uh, So, yes, I, I think they should have the final debate so that at least those who very well may be on the fence and have not voted yet can have a good look at what type of country we wish to become based off of the presidential election, based off of the leader that they choose. I think that that's vitally important. Now, whether Trump decides, or Biden for that matter, decides to actually have an in-person debate remains to be seen. Do I think it's going to matter one way or the other if they don't? No. Uh, to some voters, it may. But I think in the last in the last couple of weeks, I think it's worth at least 13 days that we have before this election. I think that Biden and Harris need to be focused on the message. I think they need to ask and engage and have conversations around the critical questions. I think they need to continue to lay out their platforms for the African-American community and the the, uh, Latino community, as well as older white folks. I think they need to continue to sort of do that dance um, in terms of getting out the vote um, of the demographic that they know they have, but also the demographic that might very well be on the fence. And what we do know, of course, is that Trump is going to continue to be Trump. He's going to continue to insult people. He's going to continue to offend people. And he's going to continue to hold these rallies. His base has already solidified. He knows that. But if you're also listening to his rhetoric, he knows, per the polls particularly, that he could very well be in trouble. And I think we also heard something similarly echoed last week, um, a little shortly after the confirmation hearings of the Supreme Court nominee, that Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, echoed that he himself could be in trouble as well as the Republicans. So they are nervous, too. right? But I, again, I still think that the Democrats need to be cautiously optimistic in the fact that the Republicans are nervous while continuously touting their message and how they plan to get this country back on track, particularly as it relates to economic relief as well as COVID-19. And, I mean, it to me, to the, um, the choice is clear, but the folks who have to do that um, will make those decisions. He's an adjunct professor at George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. He's Claudrico Driscoll. As always, friend, I, I appreciate you coming on. We'll get you on again, and you be safe, you and your family. You do the same. Take care and good care. Thank you. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Thanks to Quadrico Driscoll. Uh, uh, just want to uh, mention and had some people call in about the fact that, uh, listen, uh, the Biden-Harris campaign has to get out there and and push 
um, like the, the man occupying the White House. And I agree with that. Thank you, Lisa, for that. Also some comments on uh, online schooling and um, the plus and minuses. Uh, you can always email me with your comments and questions for our guests. I'll put you in place with those uh, in touch with those folks. LA Bachelor 40 at gmail.com. LA Bachelor with a T uh, 40 at gmail.com. Make your comments and your uh, questions uh, there. Chat room is open. If you're not on the line, if you're listening online, you lose the live feed at the top of the hour, wherever you are. So you have to dial in now at 646 9290130. Want to bring in my guest, of course. Always good to have him on. He is uh, uh, the owner of Anastas Media, play by play voice under normal circumstances for UMass Lowell. He is Nick Anastas, and of course, uh, the editor in chief, longtime friend of mine from BASN Newsroom, Tony T. Mac McLean. Good evening, gentlemen. Hope all is well for the both of you. How's it going? How you doing, all right? Good. Good. Uh, Nick, want to start with you, um, World Series, and then go to to Tony. Um, I mean, listen, your your Red Sox didn't even sniff regular season, let alone playoffs. We're gonna have to talk about them, and and the Yankees need more pitching, among other things. But you have this Rays team, as T has been saying, has been deep all year. They've been the best team in the AL all year against the Dodgers team that. You know, it's really do or die. I mean, even with them getting back to the dance, if you will, uh, they need to win. Uh, Dave Roberts needs to win. Um, You know, you have arguably uh, the best pitcher over the last decade. You know, Clayton uh, uh, Kershaw needs to win. Um, How do you see this series and, and assess these teams the way they got here? Well, I think... You mentioned Kershaw is going to be a key piece. He's the best slash most experienced on either staff, which I think always plays a role in the end in the World Series. Um, In terms of the stakes for the Dodgers, I think you nailed it. There's a lot of pressure there, especially on Dave Roberts. I think it becomes very interesting in the offseason if they do lose what happens there. Um, right or wrong, I think. And with Tampa, they're a franchise that, frankly, flies under the radar every year, overachieves every year, maximizes the roster every year. Um, They don't get to the World Series every year, obviously, but this is also not their first rodeo. I I mean, they were there a decade ago. They've got some guys on there, some veteran guys with postseason experience. So I think in a lot of ways this has been kind of a coming-out party for Tampa in a lot of ways. If they win it, that will be magnified and underlined and stressed even more so. But, um, you know, they beat a very talented and deep field in the American League. They outlasted. They played a lot of small ball, um, well, at least more so than – than some other teams and, and found themselves as AL champs. So it, to me, it's, it's also a battle of big market versus small market. I mean, that's, that's really an, another storyline that, that's there that is talked about, but 
I don't think is as underlined and and given as much attention as it should be. I mean, Tampa every year is in the bottom five, bottom six, bottom three in payroll, whereas the Dodgers, as we know, are in the top three every year. So it's got kind of a David versus Goliath feel to it from that perspective. But in terms of talent, I really do think it could go either way. I still kind of like the Dodgers. Uh, because of the experience and because they've got Kershaw, they got Mookie Betts as well, who's the best position player, obviously, either way as, as well. So I think that could be a factor. We saw that in game one. So I do like the Dodgers, but I'd be far from shocked if the Rays found a way to outlast them and win this thing. Yeah, and at the time of the broadcast, uh, we won't get it to the, um, the, where the series is, T, but – when you, you look at this, and, and you already know uh, I'm rooting for Mookie. Uh, at Boston, the, the Red Sox are the uh, evil empire. They let him go. So I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Mookie. Uh, what, a and Dave Roberts, what, a, what, a, what a surprise. What a surprise. What a surprise. <laughs> right. But, you know, both these teams really believe in their managers. And and their managers seem to, to know how to – to, well, I guess it's easy when you have the kind of depth and pitching that they have, and Kevin Cash and Dave Roberts, they believe in these guys. So what would be, at this point, the, the difference right now? And, 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 you know, Nick makes a great point. The, the storyline, which I think this is a, is a great series, um, bump the ratings. I mean, you got Tampa, the small ball, the small market against the, the big – you know, buy anything, do get whoever they want type of market in L.A. I mean, it, the storyline is there as well. well. Well, basically, this this World Series should basically be called, the, I guess, the uh, uh, who's the guy with the Dodgers now, Adam Goldman. He basically, you know, he, he had a big hand in building the Rays, and then he went over to a team that was going to spend some money. They're very similar in the sense where the Dodgers are, the, like, like Nick said, the Dodgers are the big market. They can go out and get a Mookie Betts. Uh, they can, you know, cultivate their farm system. Uh, meanwhile, Tampa, and we talked about this the other night, it's a great story and everything. They're, they're sort of like, I guess, they're Moneyball East in a sense. But the question is always, are they, you know, at some point, are they going to take a little bit of a plunge and spend a couple of bucks so they can sustain it, and that their guys won't be won't be all um, all, all over the place? Um, you know, with the Dodgers, basically the Dodgers. Look, they've been the best team, arguably in the National League for the last four or five years, and At all least. they got. To- and all they got to show for it are those ugly NL championship um, shirts. They want to, you know, for all the money that they've spent, for all the sweat equity and everything like that, they need to win a World Series. And it, it, it is literally World Series or bust. I don't think they're going to blow the team up if they lose. But you do get the, you know, you, you do get the feeling that um, if they don't win – Dave Roberts is probably out of a job. Um, they may, you know, other than say, um, Betts and probably Bellinger and Bueller, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to, there's going to be a, a reshuffling. Um, I would not be surprised 
that. I don't know if I don't know what his contract status is, but I would not be surprised if they were to let uh, Kershaw go as well. Wow. Not, wow. not, not release him, for, for, but if they could get something for him, I would not be surprised if they did that because they're, you know, they're they're at the end of their rope right now. You know, they're right. they're, they're it's 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 almost beyond World Series or bust. It's it's you know, they've they've done basically everything that a team in their stature has done over the last um, five six years, except win the World Series. Now, you could get into the whole thing of you know you know Houston and Boston cheated them out of a World Series. That's another conversation for another day. But they have, you know, they've had all the opportunities to win this thing. And, you know, I, I just get the feeling that if they don't win it this year, they may, they may it may be, a, I don't know if it's going to be another 30 years, but it, it's going to be a while before they do if they, if they don't well, win Well, let, let me ask you both of this quick, and then we'll switch to the NFL. T, I'll stay with you. Is it the ghost of Oral Hershiser in 88? They're tired of hearing that, that. Is that the added pressure there or just, you know, we win in these division titles and it's time no, it, to actually it, it, win a, look, a World Series? Well, the, the core of that team wasn't even alive when that thing happened. So, they, you know, the, the, the court, you know, the, the, that whole, you know, in fact, when the Red Sox, you know, broke the curse, you know, they weren't old enough to, you know, whatever. Their thing is more so – the the domination of the NL West and the domination of the National League to a certain extent, but literally, you know, having nothing to show for it. Yeah, and and, and Nick to 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 Tony's point, I can't even say they're like the the Braves <laughs> of the nineties. Like at least the Braves like won one. Like they they haven't even won this. I mean, and the, the course changed a little bit, you know, as Tony said, the, the course changed, but the, the money is still there and they're, they're a bigger market than Atlanta. So you really can't say that. So is it again, you know, the, this, this, especially under this umbrella, the fact that, you know, the Lakers won and they look, they picked to win again. I mean, is it that added pressure in L.A. to to get it done? The Clippers might be good. They may win. I mean, they got star players. You look at it like that? Oh, yeah, definitely more pressure on on L.A. for a number of reasons. The money, number one. Uh, Number two, the recent history, as you highlighted. Uh, It's really the last piece Kershaw is looking for in a Hall of Fame career. Um, You know, they're basically the West Coast version of the Yankees at this point. It's 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 spend spend spend, you know, grab superstars off the uh, off the wire, and uh, and compete for a World Series, not a division title, a World Series. So anything short of that, uh, to Tony's point, is is not going to get it done. Dave Roberts immediately becomes on the hot seat, uh, and that frustration that's been there, you know, for the last four years, really just continues to get amplified. So there's a lot more pressure on the Dodgers. Meanwhile, you know, the Rays are uh, determined, focused, flying under the radar, don't need the attention, et cetera. Um, and, and, again, kind of playing with house money at this point because nobody expected them to be there. 
So there's an immense contrast between the pressure on one team in this series versus the other, for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I, again, um, I, I'm definitely hoping for a lot of reasons, not just for for reasons of uh, a Dave Roberts or you know uh, anything like that, but a lot of reasons. I want I want to see the Dodgers win. I really I really do want to see them. I, I like the the Rays and their story, but I, I would like to see. Uh, the Dodgers went. Nick, I want to uh, stay with you and switch gears. Uh, the storyline of this country, this world, obviously is COVID-19. And at some point, they're not going to shut the season now. We know this. But is the NFL going to get to a point where they have to say, okay, listen, if you guys are not going to follow the rules, players, Coaches are not going to enforce it. We got to keep moving games. We see Seattle, Arizona change uh, move to the Sunday night game. The Bucks Raiders game got moved uh, because Raiders got five players that tested uh, positive COVID nineteen. Some of their key players, which is actually good for them because they got the Bucks coming up. That would have been a tough out with some of their offensive linemen and, and players missing. But again, it's a storyline. They keep moving. It's like the ship. They keep moving stuff around. They're not going to cancel the season. But are they going to get to the point where, say, by, you know, the buy for most people to say, okay, we let's just play twelve games, get through the playoffs, and keep it moving? I, I don't see that happening either, LA. Unless, unless things on the ground change. I don't see them truncating the season um, or, to your point, canceling it all, I, 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 unless, again, something changes. Uh, the way they've been able to maneuver so far, um, from their perspective, has been pretty good. I mean, they haven't had to cancel outright games. Uh, they've had to move them, postpone them, you know, rearrange the schedule, which is a pain, I suppose, but it is manageable. It is doable. It is still preferable to the alternative, which is canceling it. So, and, you know, you and I got into this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. From the NFL's perspective, I think they've done a decent job. You know, you can say uh, the player's going to, quote, unquote, follow the rules. I mean, there's no evidence they really haven't, frankly. I mean, you know, as far as the rules go, it's what? Social distance, wear a mask, and get tested. Um by and large, the players have gone along with that. And again, by and large, most, the overwhelming majority have been okay. So I Right, but NFL, all of them are okay, but they still, they're still missing games. Listen, my steal is they don't have a bye the rest of the, of the year because of Tennessee testing positive. They got 13 straight weeks. You get hurt, you're, you're up the creek. I understand it's a part of the game, but again, I understand, yeah, the percentage, just like society there's in this country is 300 million people is only 200,000 people look at it like that I think is a lot but if there is a small percentage of people getting infected there's still enough to move this stuff around and logistically and everything else it's it's a total mess like I, I you know it, it if the Eagles got affected right now and they're already banged up and then they get infected I mean it then they're moving stuff. I mean, one team moves that the Patriots get infected. They infect the Chiefs. Chiefs infect this. I don't understand where does it end, other than they just keep shuffling the deck, I guess is what you're saying. Right. 
And, and again, as we know, things could change on the ground, and this conversation becomes dated very quickly. So there's there's still that possibility. As far as the, again, really the schedule is concerned, uh, the Steelers were supposed to have a bye later in the season. They took the bye early. Same thing with the Patriots. That's just luck of the draw, essentially, where you draw your bye anyway. Some teams get it early every year. Some teams get it late. So, again, I think in comparison to the alternative where we just throw our hands in the air and say, screw it, cancel the whole season, I think what's transpired so far has been flexible enough to accomplish everybody's goals in playing football and keeping this thing moving. I think so far, so good, at least from, from that league's perspective of getting things in. It's not perfect. There's some things we can point at, as you mentioned, the moving around of the buys being a big one. But, um, you know, again, compared to the alternative from a let's play these games perspective, you know, they've done a pretty good job. Um, talk with Nick Anastas, of course, here on the Bassing News Radio Show and Network at WCOM. Nick, I got three questions for you. I want to kick it over to Chi, uh, uh, and I'll just ask him. If you forget one, just let me know. Um, Antonio Brown, all this talk about players, I mean, teams wanting him, has been mentioned with the Ravens and Seahawks heavily and all this. Why bring in a headache? And he was a headache. Hey, look, I'm a Steelers guy, but you know the Steelers way. You're not coming in. He, he was a headache even before he stepped on the field with the Raiders. Saw what happened in New England. Uh, I understand the talent, but it, at this point, the two teams even mentioned, Ravens and Seahawks, uh, you know, Seahawks need defense anyway. It's a whole other story um, and, and, a, and a running game. The Ravens, I could see, but they're talking about Des Bryant, another headache. So why even bring in Brown? Um, uh, the first question. The The second question is, when you look at, you know, some of the, the, the coaches that are, are on the hot seat um, that are not being mentioned, in Minnesota, I think, Atlanta made their change, obviously. But you look at Jacksonville, nobody. This guy, I don't even know how he still has a job. Who do you think right. would be, you know, one of the coaches that, that will be gone by the end of this this upcoming week, or you know, uh, and or do would do you see any more moves being made um, at all? The Giants are just a mess. Obviously, the Jets are horrendous. Adam, he shouldn't even be in the league. He shouldn't even be. He shouldn't even been a coach after Miami and Adam Gates. But who do you see maybe moving? Gates is definitely on the hot seat. You mentioned that. I would agree with that. And Doug Marone in Jacksonville is a head scratcher. He's he's got to be on the on the chopping block. So I, I, you already nailed it there. And just to piggyback a little bit on Antonio Brown, you're right. Uh, this is chance number four, if I correct. I mean, you know, everybody at least I'm for second chances. I am. But you're talking third, four tries with a guy who's now 32 years old. Um. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I'm not sure what the status is of his legal situation. It's plural. Um, you know, I, I, I know he was in some, some hot water there last fall, but, but uh, I'm not quite sure where all that stuff stands. But. Well, he, he's, out, he's at, well, oh, you talk about the legal stuff, not the 
NFL right. stuff. Okay, right. go ahead. Go ahead. Right. So you know that that has to obviously be factored in to any front office decision. So it, it's just not worth it for me. It, it, it's not. I, I'd, I'd roll the dice. You know, internally, personally. I mean, you know, you've got an eight-man practice squad. You still have waivers. You could still make a deal. Um, so it's it just there's too much risk, not enough reward for me personally in the Antonio Brown situation. And, and frankly, I don't think it gets. I don't think he goes anywhere. I think this is just noise. I think this is just teams uh, maybe taking a look at some options. But I'd be surprised if, if any one of these teams, especially a contender, uh, rolled the dice here. But maybe not. We'll see. And then two, two uh, quick teams. At the, do you think the Ravens defensively making the moves, and a lot of teams are making uh, looking some moves at the um, at Kansas City? And then with Kansas City, I mean, boy, did they run over Buffalo? Um, and Andy Reid, I, I was very critical of him in Philly, uh, not so much in Kansas City. Uh, he brings in Bell. They're running the ball. Uh, I, I mean, and if, if their quarterback, their Superman, can buy into this, can you see themselves even having that super balance and getting back to the Super Bowl? They're definitely the favorite. Um, you know, they were before the Bills game. I think they – are even in many more people's minds now the favorite after the Bills game. They proved that they can beat you at home, on the road, in the rain, in the sun, through the air, or on the ground. I mean, they pushed around the Bills up front. Now, the Bills uh, aren't quite the same team up front as they were last year, and people are starting to figure that out now. Uh, They're not as deep, and they lost really both of their D tackles. So they're not this top five unit up front, this, you know, top five, we're going to stop the run uh, front seven like they've been the last couple of years. They're not. And the Chiefs exposed them. They did whatever they wanted on the ground, obviously, over 250 rush yards. And I think that's a scary uh, sight to behold for a lot of head coaches around the league. Just, you know, when it comes to ground and pound, this is the Chiefs team that's supposed to be small. You know, they're supposed to be – that's how you're supposed to beat them, contain, you know, contain the pass, force them to run. But they showed uh, the entire league that they're multifaceted on offense. Their defense is, is championship level. Uh, they've got speed there, I think. And, uh, you know, to the, to the Bills' credit, they didn't quit. Uh, they didn't have the ball much in that second half. That's, that's a credit to Andy Reid. Uh, they've got some work to do, but – you know, still sitting there in the East at the top of the division with a four and two record. Um, you know, you take a look at who they've lost to. It's at the unbeaten Titans and the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. So they're not that far off. But the Chiefs are definitely, um, you know, it's the Chiefs. Then, then I think there's a little bit of a gap, frankly, and that includes the Ravens. We saw that a few weeks ago too, in the AFC. Mm. So they're they're the Super Bowl champs, and they're still the favorites uh, moving forward, I, I believe, at this point in the season. Hmm. Tony McClain. It's theirs to lose. They're the best team in the NFL. Name me somebody, name me somebody that's, that's, that's uh, better on both sides of the line. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it. You know, the NFC is, 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 is jumbled at best, uh, 
now this um I, I think the fight now is basically going to be for who can go into Kansas City and win. Uh, this uh this Steeler Oilers game I'm sorry, Steelers uh Titans game uh, <laughs> is is it's it's an important game because they're both undefeated and you know, you saw Tennessee make the run last year, Pittsburgh you know, if, if 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 they had kept their, I guess if the quarterback had been healthy, uh, they might have made a little bit of a run. But yeah, they're everybody is pretty much. I think everybody is pretty much playing for second place in the AFC, if not in if if, if not the NFL. And you know, you look at the um, you look at the division like the NFC East, where probably hell eight and eight will probably win that division this year the way they're beating up on each other. Shoot, seven and nine, probably. No, I, w- I would no, even no, say. No, eight and eight. No, I, I say eight and eight because you know they're gonna, you know, by attrition, by by attrition, you know, teams will, you know, teams will steal a couple games here and there and what I mean because because see, here's the, you know, to me here's the scary thing about the Chiefs. I don't even think they've opened up half their playbook yet. Mm. And 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 they're gonna add. A motivated Bell, who was clearly misused by um, the, the, the the New York football team. They don't even deserve to have their name anymore. With a coach who doesn't deserve to even be a coach in the well, league, that's, and that's, that's a that's a that's a, that's a that's a that's a two hour that's a two hour conversation in and of itself. Let's let's just say that he probably let's let's, let's just say he has pictures of the Johnson family and some unwilling uh, farm animals. That's, 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 that's the only reason why I think he's, 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 got, he's got a job right now. Hey, 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 Nick, a lot of question came out of Miami and then moving to, to bring in Tua. Uh, and I was reading that, you know, throughout the season, he's been a couple of things. He's been looking really good and, and quote unquote, wowing some coaches and players. Uh, and then they got a Fitzpatrick. Not only is a humble uh, enough to to say, okay, you know what, um, I could take this step back. Um, and number two, if Tua runs into trouble, they could go back to Fitzpatrick. So surprised by the move? What do you think about the move? Very surprised. Very surprised. Um, Fitz has done everything right. Uh, he's having a top ten year statistically. He's winning games. He's putting up points. He's completing passes. He's in control of that offense. And from that perspective, didn't deserve to be benched. So I was surprised. Now, what you just said, I think, is true. That meanwhile, here's Tua, who is the superior athlete, who is one of the best college football players of the last 10 years or of recent history, um, you know, wowing coaches, making plays, winning over his teammates, et cetera, in practice, that's tough to ignore, uh, especially when it's inevitable that they're going to hand the keys to him anyway. So from that perspective, it's like, okay, let's, let's, it's, it looks like he's ready for game action. Let's see what we got. And let's, let's get this to an error underway. Um, but but I, I I don't know. I still think that you know what happened to Fitzpatrick. Um, uh, to a degree, kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way and surprised me. 
because he didn't do anything to, to, to lose the job. Yeah, and, and I mean, just but from the other side of it, I mean, he is—he's usually a six picks wait, waiting to happen. Um, but you know, by all accounts, he—you know—he's accepting his role. But when you—you, you, I mean, I, I don't—I don't see the Dolphins making the playoffs. Uh, I'm—I mean, really, uh, I to me, even as, as Buffalo struggles, New England under. 500 they'll they'll be the they'll probably be the third best team in that division again because the Jets are god awful and then you you don't expect them to make the, I'm just saying it just it, it's maybe there's there's seven teams that will make it right it, it's That's not true. six teams per conference anymore it's now seven That's so that true. does I think keep I think that keeps the door open for a team like Miami a, a team that you know is going to be second or third in the division um, you know, and, and you look at their losses, they hung around with, with you know, a tough schedule. They gave the Patriots a, a pretty good fight. They've seen with the Bills. Um, you know, they whooped on the Niners. They whooped on teams that they're supposed to be on paper. Um, and, by the way, we weren't saying this two months ago. I mean, two months ago, we were, we were saying Miami could be one of the worst teams in football. So, the fact that they're 3-3, yeah. three and three, I think, uh, you know, you have to give a lot of credit. To, to what Fitzpatrick's done. You mentioned he's a pick six waiting to happen. Well, not this year. You know, not not only so far. You yeah, know, he's not, played, not so far. played a very a very cerebral brand of football. Um, you know, he, he's in control pre-snap. He calls a lot of audibles. You know, he's got a lot of knowledge. He's won basically every playbook in the league at some point. You know, he, he's a valuable weapon, and there's a reason he's still in the league at age 37, soon to be 38. So uh, I, I think you know, and, and then for them to be on a win streak, they just go ahead and pull the pause on the guy. You know, I understand it's football. I understand, you know, you're supposed to make the personnel decisions predicated on winning the games. You know, that's the coaches' jobs. I understand that, but you know, I, I just I just felt like you know the timing might be off, uh, given that Fitzpatrick had had some pretty measured success on the field this season. And, you know, T. Flores is, uh, I mean, I don't think, I think he's a little underrated as a coach. You know what tree comes from, so he should get some credit, right? And I thought they might win six games, maybe seven this year um, because of the trick plays, and they be, they buy into his system. Um, and the thing is, the, the, the other part of it is, you know, I think the Dolphins are looking sort of like at how may, maybe from a, a distance, or we can look at it from a distance where Andy Reid had Alex Smith playing solid football and decided to go with Patrick Mahomes and it worked out. I mean, these are different players, different franchises. I get that, but it could be that type of thing. Two was a talented kid. His his knock was the injury. Could he stay healthy? Mm-hmm. Right? But so maybe and, it and worked. Also, and, and also Mahomes sat for the whole year. He didn't start his first game until the last that last game of the season. Mm-hmm. Although, um, you know, he was he was he was impressing folks in practice, and and that that sort of thing that I guess that 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 was going. There. Look, Mark Fitzpatrick is like the uh, frog in, in the in the WB. Or, or in that old that old uh, Warner Brothers cartoon, he's gonna you know he's gonna do he's gonna do some things a little while he's gonna do some things for whatever, 
but at but eventually at some you know at some point he does you know he does turn back into Mark, you know Fitzpatrick usually Fitzmagic usually turns back to you know Fitz you know whatever I I think Flores is also um, playing for his job as well if he can if he can at least um, if he can get if he can get lightning in the bottle, so to speak, and not so much necessarily, you know, it's sort of where Buffalo was last year with Josh Allen. You know, throw him in there and see what happens. And, you know, go from there. And, and again, the worst thing that can happen is that Fitzpatrick is back there again. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I ain't mad at him. Yeah, a couple of years with Josh Allen. Uh, Fitzpatrick, by the way, a smart guy. He went to Harvard, so you would think he might be um, uh, uh, smart enough to understand the situation. But I, I do, I do think it's a win-win for them because if Tua just hits it, the, 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 you know, struggles, then they they can go back to a guy um, that's, you know, having a having a good year. Um, Nick, let me end with you with three. Number one, with the Patriots, um, any nervousness there? Do you see them making a move? I think they need to get better in the pass rushing uh, area. Um, that's my glaring. You got to. I think the thing, the Bengals said Carlos Dumlap is open. You got the kid Joku from uh, Cleveland uh, open. Are they looking to make any moves at the? The deadline, any concern with them being where they are right now? Because they look really sloppy, but it looked like they just didn't have enough practice. Yeah, I mean, they've only today, I think it was the third time in three weeks they've seen the practice field. And I think that was evident on Sunday. Uh, it's just been kind of a lick your wounds week. You know, I think for the team and, and, and the fan base, it's been kind of quiet um, this week. A little more humbling, I think. Um, but but I don't think anyone's nervous or hitting the panic button or, you know, if they make a mid-season move, it, it would probably surprise me a little bit because usually they, you know, stay away from the trade deadline. Uh, they stay quiet on the trade deadline and, and, you know, tend to handle things internally. So um, if, if that's if that's the case, you know, they go in and bring in a veteran, like, as you mentioned, uh, the, the guy from Cincinnati, Dunlap, who's, who's who's still pretty productive, but I think his, his better days are behind him. Pass rush is, is, is going to be something they're going to have to address in the draft, uh, frankly. You know, some kind of an edge rusher, uh, I think, is now their top priority uh, in the offseason. If they can get Dunlap maybe on the cheap – uh, kind of a rental deal for a veteran, then I, I guess that makes sense. Um, and they just need more reps, frankly, I think, on both offense and defense to uh, to right the ship a little bit. If they go out and drop one this weekend to San Francisco, I think then, you know, you, you take a look and say, uh-oh, you know, we're, we're two and four. Let's really reexamine what's going on here. But, but as of right now, I think it's, um, you know, nobody's panicked. And, uh, and and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Two quick final ones. Um, when is it time for people to look at uh, Baker Mayfield and say, you know, this this is not working? I know 
next year, uh, this offseason, they're going to have to make a decision with him contractually anyway. Everybody talks about how many coaches he has. I don't think he has the right mindset. I don't think he takes responsibility for things. I think he looks down receivers. I think he forces the ball um, like Manziel, but with a, with a better arm, a little more talent. Um but I, I, when is it, is it time for them to pull the plug? And then um, the last question for you tonight is with the Bucks. I, I Look, I get Brady's being efficient. Um, he's throwing a pick six, a couple of those. But this this is the defensive. This, this team is a defensive team. And they showed it against, you know, Aaron Rodgers, who looked like a deer caught in headlights after those two picks. Um, but, but isn't it time to say, okay, uh, you know, Brady is is a um, um, a better version, a more talented version this year. I'm just saying this year, if they get to the Super Bowl, if um, to, to to be a a a rich man's Trent Dilfer, where he manages the game and the defense of the running game runs the show. Yeah, that seems to be the formula. I don't know if I compare it. <laughs> Tom Brady well, I wasn't, I wasn't comparing them. No, 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 I wasn't <laughs> comparing them. What I'm saying is, you know, get out of the way, hand the ball off. I can make right. the play no, if no, I need I, to. I, I, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the defense is going to be the key. Right. No, the the formula, and again, uh, Ronald Jones is quietly having a good year out of the back. He is. They're leading back. Um, I'm, I'm starting to become a little bit of a believer there. I, I, thought, I thought he was uh, – garbage, frankly, but he's he's turned into uh, a pretty good running back. They've got balance. That defense, as you said, is getting better by the week. Uh, they look speedier their last time out. Um, they just got to be more consistent. You know, a lot of people have pointed to the talent, pointed to that, you know, they've got some stars there on paper. Sue looks like, um, you know, he's been rejuvenated up front, which is a big plus. I still think he's got a little bit in the tank. So, um, you know, and then meanwhile, Brady does what Brady does, you know, which is a lot of pre-snap analysis, you know, audibles, uh, dink and dunk, looking, checking third, fourth options, getting rid of the football. Uh, he seems like he's comfortable. He seems like he's on the same page with Bruce Arians um, in relatively short order. Frankly, they look a lot more cohesive than they did a month ago in some of those early games. So I, I think things are on schedule for Tampa in that it's working out. They're winning football games, keeping Brady upright, keeping him playing well, defense coming along. Now all of a sudden you've got a formidable run game as well. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely contender in the NFC South and the NFC of the, you know, in general. And then just a quick one on um, in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. I oh, mean, yeah, with, Baker. It, you got to give him the rest of the year. you got to give him the rest of the year, right? I mean, like you said, the looming decision for the franchise is in the offseason anyway. Uh, you know, keep in mind he's won more football games this year than he's lost, right? I think they're 4-2, and 3-2. and two. So, you know, he, he, he looked bad. The Steelers are arguably the league's best defense, right? They gave him a problem there in that first half. But other than that, he's he's been okay. Um. You know, some of the specific criticisms, I think, are warranted. You know, he's, he's got to learn 
um, not to stare down guys. You know, that was a problem last year. It was a problem in the loss against the Steelers. I think there's some some truth to that. Um, I don't know much about the guy off the field, you know, what kind of a leader he is, et cetera. But, you know, your, your original question was, is it time to make a move there in Cleveland? It's not. you got to give him the rest of the year and, and see how this thing shakes out. And then I think there'll be some more clarity in the off season. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, Stefanski actually is calling the plays, and he's made some great plays. This kid can't get with uh, Stefanski. Surprisingly, I thought he, he's done a really good job out of Minnesota. Um, then it is time to, to move on. Nick, I appreciate your patience and you staying on as long, man. Thank you so much, bro. Be careful as you travel. We'll talk with you next week. Sounds good, LA. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Nick Anastas from Anastas Media on the uh, Bassett News Radio Show and the Bassett News Radio Network. T, I, I know, I'm sure you feel like I feel. Um, it, you know, this this game of the NFL is is twofold. Like you want to look at people and say, okay, well, they only played these guys and they performed well against these guys and didn't the other one. And then the other thought um, school of thought is, well, you you beat who's in front of you. And with Baker is both. So they beaten up on a couple of bad teams and then they played the Steelers and he looked like the Baker from last year and the year before. We teach is looking now receivers and and guys jumping around routes because they, they're looking at his eyes and he's making these mistakes. But the biggest thing is everybody killed, deservedly so, deservedly so, when Roethlisberger did his rape and, and didn't take responsibility and got away with it. And, and, and you look at guy Kirk Cousins does, uh, doesn't take responsibility as bad as he's playing in Minnesota. Baker Mayfield's the same type of guy in terms of not taking responsibility. You got all that talent. You got a coach that's calling great plays, and you still stink it up in the big games. I I know it wasn't a you know Super Bowl or a playoff game, but this is your rival. You want to stop getting beat by your big brother, and you still come in and stink up the joint. So yeah, let them finish out the season. But if he finishes out the season, they don't make the playoffs. It's time to move on. I, I've never been a fan of his uh, professionally. I, I always thought that he was, um, I think he puts the O in overrated personally. Uh, but the thing is, they don't really, you know, for lack of a better word, they don't have a Tua uh, backing them up <laughs> to bring in, to bring in, to improve upon. So they're literally stuck now. The slippery slope is: Do they try to put themselves in the in the Lawrence sweepstakes, or do they ride uh, ride it out with him? Um, I that's what it's like. I'd, I'd be, you know, I know, I know it's kind of premature, but I'd be really surprised if he's still with the Browns next year. And if he is, he's going to probably be as the backup to somebody else. Yeah, and I, and I don't think he would take a backup role. And it's funny you should brought brought up um, backup roles. They don't have a tour. But Philly's got a backup that's just as good, maybe not as athletic, but a guy who's won a national t- championship, in fact, came in for Tua, Alabama. When is it going to be time, at the time of this broadcast, they'll be playing, when is it going to be time for Philly 
and this coaching staff to go with Jalen Hurts because Carson Wentz, in my opinion, I know Orlando's going to make it. He's Mr. Philly. Carson Wentz, I know the injuries, but even before the injuries, this guy has been digressing. He has been going backwards. He has been – he wasn't even in, in the Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots. He was hurt that year. When he came back, he was throwing picks. When is it enough to, is enough with this guy? Does he finish out the year, or do you think they, they get so bad that they bring in Jalen Hurts? Uh, no, he won't finish out the year because it's his history. And I say week eight or week nine. It's got to be, T. Got to yeah. be. This kid can ball. But, you know, if, Philly if is rough. Else, well, yeah. With, yeah, black, well, quor- yeah. with black quarterbacks. With oh, black sure. quarterbacks, but see, you know. But see, but see, but see, they, but see they also want to win, too. Now, and see, truth be told, he's not, you know, he ain't as popular as he thinks he is. I think there, I think there are a lot of apologists for him. I don't, I don't, and, and, and uh, truth be told, I don't think Orlando is an apologist for him. I think it's like they're, you know, they're, they're willing to give him, you know, enough rope so he will um, hang himself. But, um, no, I think, you know, I've, I've been, um, I've been, I've been messing with like Philly fans. I, 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 when I, I said, you know, <laughs> well, another, interception, another interception, another interception by, uh, by, by uh, Carson Wentz hurts, don't it? <laughs> I gotta use that. Oh my God, that is the that is the slogan, the 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 words of the day right there. Hurt stunner. Yeah, I hope you spell it that way too. That is too oh, funny. Hashtag, uh, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag hashtag hurt hashtag hurts don't hurt don't it. <laughs> they probably ready to come to New Haven, boy, to get you, boy. <laughs> Say all that. That is awesome. That's pretty funny. Um. Yeah, I mean, he gets a pass. The worst thing I think happens with this team and this franchise is that they got so many injuries. They're decimated with injuries. So, you know, well, you know, he's not playing behind his offensive line. Deshaun Jackson, this and that. Alsong Jeffries is not there. And they make all these excuses for these guys. And all he does is look down receivers just like Baker Mayfield. And guys jump the route. They're NFL players. So they're well, going to do that. Look, well, you got to remember. See, again, we don't give enough. We don't give these, these, you know, especially when you make the transition from college to the pros. The, the, the defenses don't have, for the most part, defenses don't have to make the adjustment. It's the it's the player, it's the quarterback, it's the offensive guys that have to make the adjustment to the to the defenses nine times out of right. ten. And I, and I don't think we hear that enough because this is it's such an offensive you know, we're in such an offensive age. But you you know, now then there are going to be quarterbacks that force that that will force the defense to have to change things. You know, um Mahomes is a perfect example of that. You know, they're you know, teams are still trying and teams are still trying to sort of figure them out. They and, and you know he has his moments. You know we saw what the Raiders were able to do. Uh, you know being a, a, being a division rival, he has. You know, truth be told, the last you know ever since the uh, you know he he was he was sort of even in the even in the uh, win versus the Patriots, he wasn't he didn't light up the world. But see, that's the scary thing about the Chiefs. I don't think 
I don't think they've uh, opened up their playbook yet. I think it's. I think for them, it's like. I think for them and a lot of teams right now, I think it's more like okay, we're like two weeks in. I, 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 you almost throw away the first three games this year because of no preseason, and now, from from week three on, now you're seeing different things because if someone had told you that the Chiefs would bludgeon the Bills uh, uh, on the ground and not in the air, you would have said, you know, you're out of your, you're out of your mind. But he, you know, give Andy Reid credit. He realized that, hey, we didn't have to throw the ball 100,000 times to beat this team. We just going to, you know, we're going to beat on them and beat on them and beat on them. And while we're at it, we'll beat on them a little bit more. And, you know, the thing is, um, it's funny you should mention that is where I was going to go. Um, it, it, listen, the the greatest games that Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs have had since he's been in the league has been high, high fly and then lots of scoring and through the air. And honestly, when you look at his record, they've lost most of those games. It's when they run the ball and have some balance is where – They've shown some down. I mean, Pat Mahomes is. You saw what he could do in the Super Bowl, throwing off across his and all that. But mm-hmm. it it brings me to the, the the fact that, and I already know what the answer will be, because they never win. But Derrick Henry is a bad boy. This man is two hundred and seventy pounds. He outrunning guys. What what does he need to do other than having two thousand y- yards and 28 touchdowns, I think, uh, Sean Alexander for the Seahawks won the uh, the MVP. What does he need to do to win the MVP? The guy is the MVP not just on his team in the league at this point, and he doesn't slow down. He put up 188 last year against the Patriots. He put up 195 against the Ravens last year. Two good defensive teams. Ran all over them, and he won't get any results. Well, we'll put it this way. Once Josh, once Josh uh, Newman wakes up, I think he's got one vote there. <laughs> at, at, at the very least. Uh, oh, here's look. You know, the, the, oh, put it this way. The awards are nice and all that other stuff, but put, put it this way. The guys in the trenches know what the, what you're what you're dealing with in, in in regards to Henry. You know, and see, the the. the the sad thing is, unfortunately, because again, because we're in this past happy NFL, um, he, he 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 sticks out literally and figuratively. But um, let's put it this way: they made a run. You know, the run was unexpected last year. This year, it was, it's you know people are sort of gearing up for them, but they still haven't stopped him yet. He's just not. You know, but to, he, and to your point. I was going to say to your point, though, I, I, I get it because we talked about this, the baseball players and everybody. You know the players know who's great, but the hardware brings the money. And these white quarterbacks, for the most part, because Russell Wilson's never gotten the MVP, they get, yeah. you get the hardware, you get the extra money. He needs the hardware to get that extra money, in my opinion. Oh, and, and so oh, that's oh, bigger, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Obvious, of course. But, but, <laughs> but, but. but but this was way. I, I don't think he would mind if he if if he, if he um had, had a ring to go with it. Sure, sure. Because see, because let's face it, it's at 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 this point in time right now. Like I said, 
it's Kansas City's to lose for the most part. So more than likely, can you know, what 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 every team in the AFC is saying? Can we go in there on any given Sunday and knock these boys off? Now, the other the other the other elephant in the room, I think, with uh, with uh, with with KC is that the defense has metamorphosized. I'm not saying they're the 85 Bears or the 2000 Ravens, but you know they they, they you know you know they can at least tell their parents uh, what they do during the uh, you know during the regular season now. Before they had to be in witness protection for for the for the longest time. Now, at the very least, they can eat at the same table with the offense now, and 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 make a difference. Um, that all that all that being said, can you you know can you could you see Tennessee? Possibly making another run, yeah. That's that's why Sunday's game is going to be very is, is very important because it's a division game, it's a rivalry game, and you're looking somewhat at a mirror image in the sense of you know historically to see those boys run the ball. Although I, apparently they have already found another new wide receiver um, that that you know I, I, I you know give them credit they you know. If there's something, if there's anything the Steelers can do, is they know how to draft uh, wide receivers from low rounds. They, you know, that's that. You know, they've been doing that for like it seems like forever. But um, yeah, I mean, he may not get his money right now, but unfortunately, that's how the NFL is now because they just. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that to give up, but it's just unfortunately the white court. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a quarterback's world, and he has to live in it. But at least he can take a few points down while he's at it. It's it's still a white quarterback's world because Russell Wilson may get paid, but he has not even sniffed the vote for MVP. But that's, again, that's – But you know what? He can – he's got got something that a lot of those guys can – that their money can never buy, and he's got a damn Super Bowl ring. Right. Well, I mean – we can have another discussion on that another day, but um, see, you look at um, on that Tennessee team, talking with uh, Tony T. Matt McLean, editor of the BASN Newsroom here on the Bassin News Radio Show, and you have uh, Mike Rabel who's getting interest as um, Coach of the Year. You got um, Ryan Tannehill who's getting Conversations about MVP, and no. and I go back to the what well, that's anybody, what if anybody, was if, any, but, if, if, if if I'd like to find the person who's 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 even thinking of putting Tanny Hill as MVP. Well, it's the same people. It's the same people who won't give Russell the MVP or Derrick Henry. So that, that's, those, that's those, my point. I, I I I hear what you're saying. I let's put it this way. Uh, as long as long as Derrick Henry is drawing breath. Uh, the only the only MVP the only MVP uh, Steve Tannehill is gonna get uh, would be you know if, if someone if he pawns if, if somebody pawns off one of their trophies he's he's not a he's not he's not even the MVP on that team. Well, that's again the same people that I I fight against that you know don't want to give Derrick Henry the MVP are the same ones that are trying to put in Tannehill in the conversation, which is is my point, but. Mike Rabel is being 
you know, talked about as being, you know, uh, having a great year as a coach. Um, but you have three coaches in Raheem Morris who took over in Atlanta, Dan Quinn, uh, Romeo Cornell, a.k.a. Um, Isaac from the Love Boat, uh, who took over in Houston <laughs> for the Texans. And then, you know, you have your users, usual suspects uh, and the, the Mike Tomlins and, and some of the, the, the coordinators. Is is this a year for the interim? If Cornell and Morris in particular do well, could that open up something uh, more for uh, black coaches? We'll see because if if we're, if 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 Eric Bieniemy is still an assistant next year, then something's really wrong. Something's really and wrong. Byron Leftwich, Byron Leftwich in Tampa. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's SEC. You know. The good thing about the uh, about Romeo and Morris is that you know they've also can help pave the way for the guys who who just because you know me personally I I think Bianami would be the, a perfect fit in Houston I, I you know I, I because you know I I I could see him going there and 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 you know slowly but surely turning Watson into, you know, Mahomes, you know, maybe like, you know, the, the, the South, the Southwest cop, the South, the Southwest version of, of, of Mahomes, as long as you give him some more weapons. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and, and Morris and Cornell have been coaches. Why not make them coaches on top of the enemy going to Houston? They've already proven they can coach in this league. Well, well look, I see. I don't, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be, you know, to get inside of Romeo Cornell's head, but I would think that he probably doesn't want the head coach anymore. You know, he's up there and he, he's been around forever. Right. Now, Raheem Morris is a whole different story. I think, you know, he, you know, he, he got the one, one, one and done literally in Tampa. I think he definitely yearns to be a head coach. Matter of fact, I think if, if, if Atlanta, if Atlanta shows any life the rest of the season and finishes 500, excuse me, or what have you, I, I think I think you I think you'll be able to keep the job. But Arthur um, Blank was quoted, and he said he said it tongue in cheek, Tony. But you know him, Home Depot uh, founder. He said, "Hey, if Morris wins 11 straight games, yeah, he's got the job." Yeah, but the, 11 straight but games. You know what? To Arthur Blank's credit, you know. I I I I I I think he I think he'd give him a shot. I do. I think I think if he let's put it his way. Well, if they finish say eight and eight, and you know maybe have a couple of signature. I mean, here's the thing. This is you know he's basically like a lot of the players. He's putting together his audition tape right now. He's trying to he's he's putting he's you know he's he's, he's basically selling his mixtape at the corner of. Um, uh, you know, Dixwell and Chapel right now, and it's just a matter—it's just a matter of you know—if you're going to make enough money to you know pay the rent, or is he going to make enough money to be able to you know do a little bit more? I you know for his sake, I hope I hope he gets a I hope he gets the shot because again he's proven he's already proven to be you know a very good assistant. But you know how you know, look. We all we all know how it is in the NFL. They they like to go with the the hot you know the hot young college coach, um, even though it's been it's it's been a little while since a you know hot college coach caught the NFL by storm. So 
it's it's you know we'll see we'll see see and see with, with between COVID and all the other perfunctory things that are going on this year, crazy things. I mean, we're not even we're not even midway through the season yet. You know, we're you know they're, right. they're, they're, they're limp you know they're limping through week six. Yeah. Um, the final two questions for you before you go. I want to go um, baseball and basketball. Uh, now let's go basketball first. Uh, you've seen about seven different coaches move. Tyre Lue going to the Clippers. Uh, the the uh, uh, Pacers have made a move. But Thibodeau goes to your New York Knicks. Now, um, I like the internal management of where the Knicks are trying to go. They still have the owner that needs to go. But Thibodeau brings some form of um, – um, stability, defense, right? So mm-hmm. what do you think – how do you think he would do? And does it really matter? Does it Does it really – his success and the Knicks' success is based on this next draft and what they do in the offseason? Oh, it's – look, it's a, it's a, you know, dare I say it, it's a process. Um, I have nothing to see – this is the youngest that they've been in forever, and I'm good with that because I'm, I, 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 I want to see them build. There was a rumor about them basically trading uh, Nikila and a few other folks for uh, Chris Paul. Um, no, I like that. I no, you get two no, years no, of a point no, guard that's no, going to give no, you some. some no, yeah, I, no, I like no, it. No, I like no, it. No, no, I'd rather have. I like Carl. it. I'd rather have Carlton at this point. I don't want. I, I don't want the Knicks to The Knicks have made the, the Knicks lead the league in getting guys five years past their prime. I want no right with talent ball. though. You, you, no. You're not bringing no, no, in uh, uh, Allen Houston the, with talent. You're bringing in the guy who's going to develop players. He's on the left. In, in a Chris Paul. No, no, no. I, I know Chris no. Paul is not slowing down. I disagree. Chris Paul still I don't got want him. a lot of games. No okay. I want no part of okay. him. I want no part okay. of him. Absolutely okay. don't want any part of him. I want to build, you know, I'd rather build around the young kids and, and build a core there. I don't want somebody okay. just going to be there two years and, you know, whatever. No. No. So the, you, you have the young kids and you think they need to, to build through, uh, get some good uh, picks in the draft. What do you see the team with Thibodeau? Picks the you know, they'll, 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 you know, it's this way. They'll be, they sh- they'll probably be slightly better than they were this year. You know, I, um, it's, 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 see, it's, 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 I don't mean to be wishy-washy, but, you know, a lot has to do with, you know, the makeup of the team. Because, you know, we're, st- you know, we're still through the ass end of COVID because, you don't know who's going to be available draft wise and all this other right. stuff and, and free agency, how much teams are going to be willing to spend and all this stuff. You know, we're in some real crazy uncharted waters. Let's put it this way. On the surface, he will make them better. He's been there. You know, he's at, you know, he's a four. He, he, he was with the organization years ago. So he's familiar right. with the whole thing and, and all that. Um, and he can mold them young guys too. He can mold those well, young see, guys. He see, really can. See, 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 see the crazy thing with him is that if you look at his last two jobs, you know, unfortunately there was a team mutiny 
before he got fired yeah, yeah, in, both, in, in both in both in both camps. You know, he, you know, he, he rubbed some people the wrong way in, in, in Minnesota as well. So that's 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 the fear. Now, please wait. It's not like they hired Stan Van Gundy. Thank God. Thank God. But <laughs> but, but I just I please wait. He's his reputation is just as much on the line as the Knicks. Because you one, you get the feeling that this is the last time he's gonna get a, a, a quality job like this. Right. True. So we'll see. I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm just refusing to, you know, get happy, get sad. I'm just gonna be like you know, show 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 me something, you know? Just show me something. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I've seen I've seen this you know I've I've seen this movie before and I know how it ends so give me give me me a different ending and 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 then come talk to me. I got an email from someone that um, we talked um, on a previous show about Joe Morgan and I brought up Altuve and 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 the the emailer said well uh, no they they sort of like the. Uh, a Robbie Alomar. So, what if if you could compare Joe Morgan, the great late great Joe Morgan, to the the emailer that said something? Who would you modern day or or, or you know obviously past the, the big red machine? Um, and he didn't even play his whole career there. Obviously, he played more in Houston and in Cincinnati. But um, mm-hmm. who could you compare him to today, or even maybe someone who just retired? Today, or someone um, who just retired. Well, if you put a gun in my head for somebody like today, it might be a little bit of a stretch. But uh, maybe, uh, maybe uh, um, Lemayu, because of the mix of power and um, and um, and all all around hitting. Mm. It's, uh, and again, it's just it's a little bit of a stretch. And uh, but um, Alabama, you know. Alomar seems about right. Uh, the, uh, the other guy who probably doesn't get as, as much love as he deserves because he's been such a butthead over the years is uh, Jeff Kent. Wow. Jeff everybody, Kent. That's not a stretch? Thinks, yeah. Defensively? No. Really? I mean, yeah. No, no. No. This way. Jeff Kent is a 24-carat butthole. And which that's Jeff probably, Kent? What what team? What's Jeff Kent? You talking oh, about his yeah, career oh, or when? Oh, oh, his career. Now look, look at you know his numbers are very competitive. You got to remember he was uh, only Morgan's got more home runs than him as a second baseman all time, if I believe, if, if I remember correctly. Right now he doesn't. Now he doesn't have the stolen bases. And right, and that's what I was to say. I don't. Uh, I can see Alomar more the Kent because of the speed. Alomar more so all around. Kent for consistent consistency power. and power and hitting. Yeah. And he's a, and, and 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 truth be told, Jeff Kent was a better defensive player than people get. You know, Jeff Kent again. Jeff Kent's a twenty-four carat butthole, and I think that's why his name gets lost in the sauce when we're talking about great all-time sex. Plus, you know, he played for everyone. He was, you know, he had the, he definitely had the rent. He never owned until his career was over. 
Yeah, and I care. I, his comments would would vary. I, I you oh, know, yeah, I guess yeah, from yeah, that yeah, standpoint, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you said, he was a bundle. He's yeah. you know, of all, you know, think about it. Of all the ex teammates that Barry had, Jeff Kent was the only one that actually is was the only one that actually said something awful about. You know, I mean, you can just very, you know, as much as they make as much as they make out uh, Kent to be a, uh, uh, as much as they make Bonds to be out as a butthole. How many of his ex- name me name me five ex teammates not named Jeff Kent that spoke out against him? Yeah, I'll Clark wait. Kent. That's about I'll it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait. But now it's it's uh, you know I know this I know there's gonna be some folks that might try to say uh, uh, Ryan Sandberg as well. See, I'm not old. You know, I didn't. You know, uh, contrary to popular belief, I did not see Rogers Hornsby. Um, Back in the day, so yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I just I, I just see I didn't know I've seen I, I'm I'm more like you like I'll go to YouTube, and I don't see anybody other than I I, I brought up Altuve because he's a little compact little stocky little dude with the power and he can hit and stuff, but I don't see anybody at second who could play the defense and 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 run the bases like Joe Morgan. Well, like it, you, you know, can't. You know, truth, you know, truth be told, you know, this, this, you know, take it where you want. Alomar's probably got him a little bit in the glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Robbie, yeah, he yeah. Because he, yeah. he, he makes, some, you know, he makes some spectacular stuff. Um, right. And see, I didn't allow my Met bias to uh, taint, you know, taint his, um, you know. His overall hell, I didn't even allow it to uh, taint uh, Jeff Kent as well. I was going to say, them, and both of them, and both of them, you know, more so Alomar than than Kent. But you know, Alomar, you know, I don't know who the hell that was in a Robbie Alomar jersey when he got to New York. But um, and, and that's why I said, well, which Jeff Kent you talking about? Jeff Kent Mets, Jeff Kent Giants, Jeff Kent. Which Jeff Kent are you talking about? Yeah, no, you had me see. Full disclosure. When uh, he was traded for Mookie, and I was, you know, I was like, anybody that got traded for Mookie was, please, you know, I, I, I'll even go into it further. Uh, and I'm dating myself with some of our old, our, our younger fans. When the yeah, Mets I'm, acquired, uh... when the Mets acquired Rusty Staub, one of the guys that he was traded for was one of my favorite players, and that was uh, Kenny Singleton. I could right. I couldn't stand Rusty Staub the first years he was in the year. But then a year later, because of him, they got to the World Series in 73. So, you know, you, you know, even and, even even as a even as even as a uh, dumbass 11, 12-year-old, I realized, okay, guy helped you win. You yeah, and yeah, but look, you can still love Ken, Kenny Singleton, but you love Rusty Starr because he got you to the World Series at the same exactly, time. So. Exactly. <laughs> but see, and, and see, Mookie, you know, Kent was part of Mookie Wilson going to the uh, Blue Jays. Yeah, him and, and him and him and Hall of Famer Jeff Musclehead. But that's that's a whole other that's a whole other uh, can of fish. But 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 see, I try not to let my team bias get in the way because see again, you look at Kent's overall career. The guy was productive. He's a great you know he was a great RBI guy. Had power. Could hit for average. Underrated, you know, underrated fielder. He was just a, he was, you know, he was just a, 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 a 
a, a, a pain in their offense most of the time. Every, every whether whether it was Cleveland, whether it was Houston, whether it was San Fran, whether it was Toronto, whether it's New York. Now, again, go to you know go to Baseball Reference and you look at the numbers and you say to yourself, Wow, this guy did put up some good numbers. Yeah, probably a um, a Trump supporter, but anyway, um, I got an I email was, from Eric. I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> it, it got an email from Eric before we get out of here, uh, who said, "What do you think of the uh, Fox Post game?" I guess, it, and he said, uh, "A Rod is is the worst." And you know what? I looked at them. <laughs> la- I looked at the. I looked at poor, one of the broadcasts poor, at the poor, time poor, of this, right? Poor A Rod. Nobody likes A Rod. He's, he's like, so, he's, like but, he's like he's he's a he's a Spanish Charlie Brown with a nice haircut. That's that's so. Sad. He so moved sad. the ball and he kicked. But you know what, T? The, the thing is, I think what the the emailer is talking about is that A Rod A wants to take the show because he's an entertainer more. He's known more right now as an entertainer than a baseball player. And then B, he kind of over exaggerates. I mean, I like um, Big Poppy. And someone says something they can't understand, which is very racist, and I could. But Big Poppy's good. Um, I'm talking about just the, the World Series post-game team, not the, uh, yeah, the Curtis Grandison yeah, yeah, and the yeah, other people. Yeah, know, but this yeah, team right here, Big Hurt is good. He comes in. They're funny. I like the uh, the, the lead guy. I forget his name. And hey, A-Rod hey, kind of hey, comes are in. You, are you Frank? Aren't you Frank Thomas? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get that new Jenna? But anyway, and the ladies will like it too. And the ladies will like it too. <laughs> and they look, and the ladies looking like, but Frank, um, how? Uh, what about? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They all discreet. Like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they turn into Jackie O. Right, they whispering. What are you whispering about? Like you're in the press conference, but anyway. Stop it But listen, that's funny. But you know, Big Herd is good. Big Poppy's good. A Rod just comes across as in game, as in trying to buy the Mets, as in anything else, as polished, too polished. He doesn't. You don't feel like he's telling you about the game. Big Herd, Big Poppy, telling you about pitches and everything. He just—I don't know what you think if you've seen the broadcast, but I, I, I get what the emailer is saying. I'm the wrong—I am the wrong person to ask because I am anti-pre and post-game uh, show. I don't—I—I I, unless I'm at work and I have to—I I really because see, here's what I do: I cheat, um, especially during the playoffs. After after game one, I after game one on Saturday night. I'm on Tuesday night last week. I turned on uh, Fox Sports Sun, the uh, the you know cable channel for the you know the, the home channel for the Rays, and then I turned uh, Sportsnet LA home channel for um, the Dodgers. Because see, my thing is, these are the guys that have followed them all year. They're there after every home game, they're after a game, after every road game, and everything. So they know the team. If I'm going to hear from somebody, I want to hear from somebody that's in the locker room all day, that knows the players, that knows what's going on and everything else. Pre-games, when it's nationally or what have you, they're just, you know, they're, they're, it's, yes, they go into the locker room occasionally or what have you, but 
it's 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 a stretch. It's 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 just basically them having a conversation among themselves. That's why I can't do. And, and it doesn't matter the sport. I just I I am very, I'm very anti uh, pre and post game show. I watch the games, and if I'm up to it, I'll watch the news conferences because again, I want to get it from the people who actually cover the team every day. Um, I want to, you know when I um I always tell folks who have either direct TV or the IPTV services that have all the uh, affiliates, watch those. If, if you really want to learn about these teams, watch the, if you're going to watch pre and post stuff, um, like if it's a Fox game, it's usually like say Blue, uh, Jays Live or Rangers Live or Reds Live or what have you. Um, then you know, then you get the A and T channels. You have you know that for the Astros. You have it for the whatever. Um, you know, of course, the 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 Yes Network for the Yankees, S and Y for the Mets, um, Sportsnet LA for for the Dodgers, and uh, Fox. I think it's, I think Fox Sports West for uh, the Angels. And and I mean, pretty much everybody has a uh, uh, a cable uh, whatever. I say all that to basically say. I may I may literally get caught up in it because it's the World Series and if there's nothing else on I'll watch it as background noise but I don't do I don't do that. And see, the biggest thing with A-Rod and I have said it before A-Rod wants to be liked and he tries too hard to be liked by everybody because when yep. you try to get liked by everybody you know, it, it, it nobody you likes know, you. Nobody likes you. And and see for whatever reason, whether whether everybody you know uh, lusts over over his wife, or they just hate, they just dislike him because of the whole steroid whatever. Um, I don't know what A Rod can never do to make people like him, and he probably should stop. But but see, he can't because. He's basically the lead guy, the lead analyst on Sunday night uh, on Sunday night baseball. Fox has him in what? a prominent role on on their on their pre and post um, pre and post game show. So, you know, he's like in laws. You can't get rid of him. Right, and then real quick, we got less than uh, ten minutes. Uh, with with the to your point about announcers and, and muting, I mean, you and I get it. I listen. I rather listen to. Whether it be, it don't even have to be Vince Scully. It could be my cousin Vinny, then Joe Buck. I can't do him. And the sad thing about this, T, listen to this. Sad thing about this, I can listen to um, from the Braves, his, his analyst, uh, what's your name? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, former oh, pitcher for the Braves. John Smoltz. Yeah, John Smoltz. John I can listen to John Smoltz do color. Mm-hmm. I can't listen to Joe Buck. And so um so so people who don't get it, I guess, or maybe they'll get it, they they're stuck you gotta mute it. I can't listen to him. So I just watch the pictures I, and I, see you know, I take I take it, you know look, I watch a lot of my I'm I'm watching the Giants Giants Eagles game now with the sound off. But right. yeah, I, I, I watch a lot I watch a lot of the national games with uh with the sound down because there's not, you know, I there's very few announcers where I say, oh, I want to listen to you know. Um, truth be told, 
I will listen. I will, you know, I watch. I, I, if, if I'm up late and I know uh, the Mariners are on, I'm always going to try to find my boy uh, Dave Sims. Right. Um, I, uh, I like Fran Charles on uh, MLB Network. Um, I like Cliff Floyd. Uh, I love I love Harold Reynolds. I you know I, I know in some ways for some people Harold Reynolds is the black equivalent of A Rod, but I like I, I I like Harold Reynolds personally. Right. Um. It's um. I'm, I guess I'm sort of like you. You know, once Vince Scully retired, there really wasn't anybody where I had to be like, oh, I gotta listen to their broadcast or whatever. I mean, right. Even 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 like the the Mets guys. You know, Gary Cohen's okay, and you know when. When when Keith is on his meds, he's not too bad. Um, I like Gary Cohen though. I do, I like him on TV and radio. I do. I like Gary. Well, he's he's just he's just he's just TV now because uh, it's, right. it's, uh, yeah he's because um uh, your buddy and his Howie Rose is now the uh, radio voice of the Mets. And I do like Howie Rose. I guess maybe it's nostalgia. I got I kind of like Howie Rose too. Anybody yeah. but Joe Buck T. Anybody but Joe well, Buck. Look, 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 look. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because Fox, you know, has uh, what seems to be a lifelong contract for the World Series, we're gonna have to, you know, we're gonna have to put up with him in 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 small in small doses. You know, but see, what I think what makes it worse is that he's doing both football and baseball. Right. Thank you. Can, can you give somebody again. a job? Can you give somebody a job, please? Well, well, well. <laughs> you know, we had we had we uh, we had uh, Marty Brenneman's son till he you know just uh, started to say something stupid on a hot mic, and now he's and now he's probably going to be he's probably out of a job for maybe not forever, but he's going to be out of a job for a while. But no, there's, there's give me George Grant. Is he still alive? George Grant. You know, he used to do the Reds. You know no, he actually does a handful of games on uh, on on the Reds during the year. Not not a um, okay. Because um, and you know now with the situation with Brennerman, maybe he's doing more. But but again, you know George is up there. You know George, remember George is part of our youth. So you know George is up there in age. And if, yeah, if, that's you know, true. You got to you got to remember, Vince Scully basically stopped doing games east of the Mississippi five years ago because right. You know, Hey, we love Vin, but Vin's two hundred years old. He can't do all that. And we had Charlie, we had Charlie Steiner for you know, and I don't know if he's still doing it or not, or, think, or doing I, some. I think I think he's strictly radio, because okay. Because, uh, because, uh, matter of fact, um, is it Phil Dedas, I believe that does the uh, games on 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 the Dodger Network. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, it's, and Steiner's it's, got it's, a good ra- he's got a good radio voice anyway to do yeah, the games. Yeah. So I, yeah, I like his voice. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, you forget Charlie started in in in, in this uh in this, in this neck of the woods years and years and years and years ago. Yeah. What they need to do is hire you and I to do the broadcast. Cause Lord, no, I mean, I and and I it it, it it's another conversation for another day. Joe Joe Buck. Do football or baseball? First of all, you're not your father. I've been saying that forever. You're not your well, father. Put it this way. The other alternative is uh, your buddy Bob Costas. Oh, Jesus, on the main yeah. line. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, oh, see, now, 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 he does now. I believe he still does MLB Network. Uh, I think that when they have their showcase games on, like, Thursday. Because, matter of fact, it's him. It's actually him and 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 uh, Smoltz, or either him 
and uh, Kitty Cat. He is a part of that. You're right. He, you're right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Look. 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 It's it's it's. You know what? It's it's like Trump or Biden. You, you know, you lose either way. Well, all I know is I like Big Kurt. I can't think of the announcer in the um, in the lead uh, there. Former, former Mets. Yeah, yeah. He former. He was the former Mets. He, he was on SNY and 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 the fans. Okay. And, and, actually, and actually, matter of fact, I think he does. I think he's either second or third in line with the NFL because him and uh, it was he started off it was him and John Lynch uh, before he, he took the uh, 49ers job. Uh, I think it's him and um, is it him and uh, Moose Moose Johnson? I think now. Probably. Um, they yeah. they got a lot of teams. Yeah, you're right. You're you're right. You're right. I've seen them on on the broadcast on, on some of those, those those miserable Carolina Panther late four o'clock game. Oh my god. Somebody's oh jeez. Not 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 him in the announcer, but the game itself. Oh my god. But wow. uh, hey, you know, again, let me know. Hey, Big Poppy and, and and Big Hurt. I, I, I love them. Hold on. You sure you're not saying Tommy? And look, anybody but A Rod, you're right. You can't please everybody, so you're not gonna please anybody. You know what? You know what? I so, almost, I almost, I almost wish you would come. You know, I almost wish you would come on there drunk, and then you can get find out how you read really, really. You know, he'd probably be more entertaining. I know. Do something. Let his hair down or something. Get the tan away. Wow. Well, but see, here's the and see, here's the crazy thing. He's a he's you know, baseball knowledge wise, the guy knows his stuff. That's he's the point, G. If he just feeds himself, he knows the game. He knows the yeah. game. Yeah, it's 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 you know, again, you're just trying to you know, you can't please everybody. Can't please everybody. Well, but yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's you know, it's not. I mean, look. Um, they're very, very, and, and this is including all sports. There's very, very few announcers where I say to myself, "Oh, I got to listen to." Like I said, you know, Dave Sims, guys that we know. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, a handful like the the, the 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 kid that does the radio voice for the Astros. He's 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 tremendous. I, I you know, when I grow up, I want to have his voice. Right. Right. And anything Yankee or Steelers would be good too, so that not work. Nah, 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 nah. I, 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 no, I can't, I can't do Ma and Pa Kettle every every game. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding about Michael K. Oh my God, he's oh, just no, garbage. Not, oh, oh, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm just I'm, saying I'm, Michael I'm, K. Garbage. Oh, Michael K. Well, see, you see, you, 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 and and the Sterling family are the only people that actually listen to John Sterling. <laughs> well, Michael, Michael K. Sia is so boring. Oh my God, and he's well, very pompous and arrogant about well, it. Well, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say the guy is in love with himself, but I believe he takes up three seats, seats in the, uh, in the aisle. Yeah, he looks himself in the mirror and says, "See ya," you know. So anyway, so that's, your, See, that's, your that's your buddy. No, that's not my buddy. He's the team, but not him. Definitely not him. See, I appreciate you. I'll talk with you off in, uh, and next week, sir. I appreciate you, man. Take care. Thanks. Tony T. Mac McClay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, you, you're absolutely sure you're not Frank Thomas. <laughs> Goodbye. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. Okay. <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> Tony T. Back with Claver BASN Newsroom. Miss any part of the broadcast, go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. This show airs. You can hear Tony, myself, and all the other guests, 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Time every day. You'll hear that show, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Enjoy. Talk with you soon.